Alright everyone, um, we're about to begin on page, on page uh, 50, the page that you have, this week's uh, Torah portion um, discusses, there's actually two portions this week, Achremos and Kedoshim. And the first one discusses the, the, the uh, order of the day of Yom Kippur. For Yom Kippur, the whole Avedah, the sacrifice in the Beis Amikdash. We know that this was the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And the day that the High Priest uh, goes into the Holy of Holies and brings about an atonement for the Jewish people. So at the conclusion of the verses discussing the atonement of Yom Kippur, the verse says that all this should be done because on this day he will atone for you to purify you from all your sins. So this uh, discourse that we're going to learn now from Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the, uh, the author of the book Lekutetari that we learn and we study every week, was said actually uh, in the year Tafkuf Samach Beis which is 204 years ago. It's really a Yom Kippur discourse discussing the, the inner workings of Teshuvah and return and repentance and return to God. But uh, the concepts are true for the whole year and they're very, very uh, insightful and very energizing. So um, it was said on Shabbos Shuvah. Shabbos Shuvah is the Shabbos between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Now the verse, when the verse says, on this day he will forgive upon you, of course he is speaking about God, that God will atone, will bring atonement uh, for all your sins to purify you. But the interesting thing is that the verse doesn't say it's God. The verse says, on this day he will bring atonement, or he will atone for you. It doesn't say who. So even though, as we said, it's, it's self-understood that's referring to God, but there's no direct indication in the verse itself that it's referring to God. So it would have seemingly been appropriate for the verse to say, for on this day, Yechaper Hashem. Yechaper, we would say God's name, that God will, will atone for you. But we, God's name is, is, is omitted at least from the beginning. On this day He will. Later it says, in front of God you will be purified. But at the beginning, when it says, on this day he will atone, doesn't say who. So let's read inside. On this day he will atone for you, to purify you, from all your sins. Lift Hashem before God, you will be purified. We're going to skip the, uh, the little parentheses here. He nay, for behold, we need to understand. Why does the verse say, um, he will atone anonymously, not saying who it is, that it's about, that it's God. The Hevelele Meimar, it should have said, Yechaper Hashem, that God will atone. Kul, Achnoidar is known, Sheyoyim HaKippurim, Yoyim HaTshuva. That the day of Yom Kippur is a day of Tshuva, it's a day of repentance. The Inyan HaTshuva, of simply understanding, generally most people in the way we all understand Tshuva means, if you've done something wrong, you have to repent. And repentance comes through regret, remorsefulness, and then a strong resolve not to go back to the ways of sin and so forth. However, 
the word teshuva in the Hebrew word, the word the Torah uses is not repentance. The word the Torah uses is return. Teshuva meaning return. Which emphasizes the idea that teshuva meaning to return to God. Teshuva is not necessarily only from sin. Return to God doesn't mean only if some a person has messed up, then they have to do teshuva, return to God from their evil ways, from their, their misguided ways to come back to God. Teshuva means to return. Yes, it's possible that we apply teshuva even to sins. If we've gone astray, then we have to come back. But there are far loftier, much higher levels of teshuva. Where one is not, one returns to God not from sinning, not from transgressing or violating God's commandments, but just one returns to get closer. And as we're going to learn over here, the ultimate return to God means returning from being an entity other than Him, from being separated from Him, even in the most subtle separation. Because the mere fact that we exist as human beings in, this, in, 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 in the world already constitutes a separation from God. Because our souls were once part of God. God, our souls stem, our souls originate in, God's, in God Himself. And then when the soul came down to be embodied, to be, to be uh, invested in a body, the soul became an identity, it became an identifiable creature, an identifiable being. Albeit, the soul is an extremely spiritual being. It's a lofty being, it's a holy being. But nevertheless, it's still a being. It still has a sense of identity, a sense of somebody. And that itself constitutes already a separation, a distance. So the ultimate shuva is to bring oneself back to a state where one is submerged in God's light to the point that one loses all sense of self and one is completely, exists only as, as an expression of God himself, not as an independent entity. That does not mean, God forbid, that a person... To do that means that you have, God forbid, the soul has to depart from the body. It doesn't mean the separation of body and soul. This week in the Torah portion, the first verse begins, the two sons of Aaron, they died. The day that the, of the inauguration of the Mishkan, the two sons of the high priest, Aaron, died. And the, the, the reason they died, the, the simple verse says, because they brought an alien to Torres. They brought incense into the temple, and there was not called for, and that's why they died. But the deeper mystical meaning, the verse says, they died when they came close to God. They died because they had the experience on the first day when God came to manifest His presence in this world, on the day when the Mishkan was put up, there was such a great manifestation, a revelation of God, that this, they were great, they were saintly people, so they experienced an outburst of love and longing and yearning to become absorbed in God's life. And they experienced such an intense longing, such a deep, powerful surge that their soul couldn't be contained anymore and constricted within the limitations of the physical body and the soul, the soul tore itself free from its physical constraints and it was reabsorbed in God's light and they died. God was upset about that. Even though this is the highest death imaginable, one doesn't die. The death over here means the soul is kissed by God. It's taken back into Him. It's the highest, the highest level one can attain. Nevertheless, God dislikes that. And the reason for that is God didn't send us down to earth so that we should escape it. We should run away. 
God sent us down. That's why it was considered a sin. A very holy sin. But nevertheless a sin. Because instead of thinking about what God wants, they thought about what they wanted. They wanted closeness. They wanted intimacy with Him. They wanted to just merge with Him. So that was wrong. So when we're saying over here the ultimate purpose is for man to return to God to the point where you, where you merge with Him and you stop, cease to exist, doesn't mean God forbid death. It means that even while you're alive in a body, living your daily life, you're so aware of the Divine Presence. You're so in the veil of the all-encompassing unity and all-encompassing truth of God that you're completely committed to His will, to His desire. You have no will of your own. Because how can you even sense how can a human being even sense his own tiny, little, puny, little, insignificant will when he's in the presence of the omnipresent, infinite, infinite being? And that's what it means, the ultimate tshuva. To bring your soul back to that attachment. Let's read inside, we'll understand a little better. Achnoi, that is known, Shayom Ha... And that's what, that's what Yom Kippur is all about. It's a day that we detach ourselves a little bit from physical, from physical involvements, eating and drinking and so on and so forth, to allow our souls to experience that... That unity, which was really, which was really, and it's called returning. It's not a new thing, because we're really going back to the way we were before we were created. And that's where we were before we were created. Let's read it inside. Achnoi, that is known, Sheyoyim HaKippurim, Uyoyim HaTshuva. Yom Kippur is a day of Tshuva. The Inyan HaTshuva and the concept of Tshuva is, Lahashiv To restore and to bring back one's godly soul to the source from where it has been excavated. Meaning the sort, the soul came, comes from God, and then it has left it. We have to bring it back there. As the soul was before it progressed, and went and went and traveled through a chain-like progression of descending, because the soul, we know that there are a lot of spiritual realms that precede our our world, realms of spirituality, higher and higher and higher, higher realms, higher worlds. So the soul doesn't instantly depart from God and enter into a body. It first goes on a long journey as it passes through the various levels of existence. It gets lower and lower and lower until it comes down to the lowest rung of existence, which is the physical world. Until it gets enclosed in a body. So, as he says, now the job is to bring the soul back as it was before it descended. The Yerida Samadregis. Prior to it even taking its first initial descent, taking its first step, before the sun, the soul plunged into the darkness. To be enclosed in the body of man, in the physical, in the physical body. Because at that point, the soul was absorbed in its root, in its source, in its root, and the root of all worlds, in the infinite light of God. That's where the soul was. Now this seems to be astonishing, to say, that the soul emanated and originates in the very essence and the very being of God. She says this really stems from the Zohar. It says in the Zohar as follows. When, when it speaks about in the story of creation, all the way in the beginning of Bereshis, in the beginning of Genesis, in the, in the story of creation, the Torah describes how God created the world. And generally the whole, the whole, um, the whole uh, um, um, uh, creation is described then as God speaking. God spoke and He said, let there be light. God spoke, let there be a firmament, let there be a heaven, let there be an earth, let the earth give forth vegetation, and so on and so forth. When it gets to the sixth day, the last day of creation, on Friday, and we're going to create man, over there it doesn't say God spoke. When it came to create man, 
it says, Vayipach, first he created him, and then first God spoke, he said, look, he created the body, and then the body was a lifeless clay on the ground, or a lifeless body, and then it says, Vayipach, the app of Nishmas Chaim, that God blew into his nostrils a breath of life. So the question is, how come over here, by the creation of man, does it use a different term, God blew? God, now, generally we understand that um, the reason all of creation is expressed as God speaking, of course, doesn't have a body, God doesn't have a body, so we can't attribute, of course, speech as we, as we speak, but the idea of speech, speech means communication. When God created a world, he was creating an entity, sort of, or at least experiences itself out as, as another, as something other than God. So for that, God has to communicate to something other than himself. So he spoke the world, meaning he communicated life. He communicated energy. He took of him, he took of himself, because prior to creation, the only thing that existed is God. And now he's transmitting of his energy, of, his, of himself, to the creation, for the creation to exist. Now that's when you speak, so you're transmitting. When you're blowing, you're also transmitting. You're giving breath from yourself, you're transmitting. But why by the creation of man is the term used, blowing, instead of, instead of speaking? And the difference, the Zohar says, is as follows. All creations are created from the outer breath of God. Just like when a person, the difference between speaking and blowing? When a person speaks, you omit breath. But the breath that you give out, that, that leaves, that, that exhales, that comes out of the person while you're speaking, that breath is an external breath. It's, it's a breath that is not, we can't really say that that's your vital, your vital breath, your inner life. That's where you can go on and talking and talking and talking, exhaling breath. You don't really get that tired, you don't get exhausted. When a person blows, the Zohar's comment is, Man de nafach, when one blows, nafach. He blows from his inner self. Something that is really a part of you, you blow out of yourself. That's why you try to blow up a, a tube, a swimming tube or a balloon or something. After a few, depending on, 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 on if you're in shape or not. After, after, uh, so you're exhausted. What's the exhaustion? Because you've, you've given a piece of yourself. Your, your inner breath, your inner vitality has been exhaled. So metaphorically speaking, the rest of creation, God didn't give himself. He gave a little energy, a little radiance of his life to imbue all of existence, including the most spiritual worlds, including the angels and the highest celestial beings. All of existence receives its sustenance from an external aspect of God. Not so the soul of man, and particularly the soul of the Jewish people, over here, God took of his inner soul, of his inner being, who he is and what he is. And to take that even further, that breath, when you blow, that breath prior to it being blown out, where was that breath? That breath was contained within the blower, within the person who blew that breath. And it was part and parcel of his... And it was un, unidentifiable. In other words, if you, would, if you were to trace that breath that a person blows out, and get back into the, into the lungs and, and try to find that particular breath and say, this is it, as opposed to the rest of the pool of breath, if you can say the greater, the greater you, you couldn't identify, because there is just part of the greater, the greater vitality of the human being. So too, the soul, before it left God, was literally part of that infinite reality of God. It's, not a, it's an internal, inner aspect of God. And that's, that's what he brings over here. Kamesha the Zohar, as it says in the Zohar, I'll pass it. He blew into his nostrils. Nishmas chayim, a breath of life, which also is translated as a soul of life. Man de nafach, mitoifrei nafach. 
one that blows, blows from his inner self. Because at first, initially, the, this breath was included, absorbed in its root, in its source. Which means in the very being of God, Mamash. However, and that's, that's the condition of the soul before it was exhaled. But after it descended and went through the process of worlds, the soul, of course, changes as it goes, its process, as it enters into the creation, and as it makes its way down till it reaches the human body, it changes, it, it changes extremely, and it's a drastic change. And uh, till it can, now again, let's understand, this is a soul. So even when it reaches the human body, it still contains its spiritual characteristics, it still has, uh, it's still a, a holy being. But nevertheless, it's a far cry from what the soul was when the soul was residing in its pristine state, in its, in its, in its infinite state, as, as, as not even as a creation, but as part of the Creator. Now, the soul descends, and the soul came down to enclose itself in the body, in the body of man in our physical world. Now, we understand that that is a terrible descent. That is an incredible, that for that, that the soul has come down so low from its, from, from its place. And that's a sorrowful state. Now we understand. I mean, it's, it's a pitiful state, as we're going to see later. Now, ultimately, there's a purpose to this, as we're going to see soon. But, but for just looking at the soul coming from the highest peak, from the highest, highest planes, plunging down into the darkest, the darkest, lowliest forms of existence, which is the human body, or any physical body, because the physical is very constricted and very limited and very, very, very concealing, blocking and, and concealing the divine truth. Therefore, the soul has to be restored to its, to its source. As it was. And one has to raise their soul back to God so that it could cleave to the living God. The soul should be reabsorbed in the infinite light as the soul was originally. It should go all the way back to where it was. He may now lahavin to understand. So now we have to understand as follows. So now we have to understand what was the purpose? Why did God drag the soul down from that very high place, sublime place, and bring it down? It descends. It came down from a very, very high place. It comes down to extremely lowly place, and. And it, is, it, it requires tremendous toil and tremendous effort to be able to bring the soul, the soul back to that place. To be able to restore that awareness, that state of awareness where the soul was when it was part of God. Because when the soul comes into a body, it gets, it gets blocked and covered up by ego, by self-centeredness, where a person sees himself as an absolute existence to the point where you begin to question if God exists. To that degree there is that arrogance. And that's part of part of the difficulty of this of this world. Because this world God has veiled himself and veiled and veiled and veiled and veiled and covered and obscured the the truth that there's none but him has been so obscured that it's most of the time a soul comes into this and into this world and it gets completely distorted. It loses all sense of reality. And it sees it thinks that 
that all there is to life is our physical world and the materialistic blessings that it, and, 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 and pleasures and enjoyments that it's able to accumulate and enjoy in this world. That's all that there is. So this is extremely painful. So most of the times, souls come down to this world and they live a life completely alienated and separated from that divine reality. Mm-hmm. If they ever think about God, it's nice. And even if a person is working and toiling, nevertheless, you're still full of ego, still full of self-centeredness, full of, full of... And that is very, very far. So he's asking the question, if since it's so difficult to come back to that place, why did God do this and send the soul down? So you say, well, God wanted to present the soul with a challenge. And so it should be meaningful. But it seems like the challenge is too great. And, is it, and if the ultimate point is just getting back to that place, which most of the time we can say is a, it might be a failure, so then what's the point? Is it, is it, is it worth it? Especially as he says, it, it's very difficult to get there. Valavai and and wish wishfully he says it would be good if we can restore it properly to where it was. Because the journey, the Talmud tells us that every journey is dangerous. If you're home, you're safe. The minute you hit the road, there is a ray danger. Same as also the soul hits the road, it's sent down to earth. There's all kinds of pitfalls, uh, falls. There's all kinds of all kinds of stumbling blocks, there's all kinds of things that can, that can distract and cause a person to go astray. So the question is, Why was this, why did God do this? Why did He make and bring about this, this thing? So in order to understand all of this, this is what this, this course is going to explain. So Tarek Lahav, and we need to understand, So again, this thing builds. He presents an idea, he asks a question, and he answers the question all the way at the end. But until then, he builds one concept based on the other. So now, Tzarech Lahav, we need to preface it by understanding something else. Masha Kos, of this that it says in the verse, when it speaks about God, it says, Ki Hashem Eish God, your God, is a consuming fire. So when it speaks, it says, so it speak, the, 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 I don't remember where the verse is, but it's somewhere in the Torah. When it's speaking about God, it says, you should know that God is a consuming fire. Why is God compared to a fire? What's the comparison of God to a fire? So, This will be understood by way of analogy. Just like fire cannot, doesn't illuminate, can't, doesn't shine. And it can't be grasped. That it should be called light and fire of the Eish Klal, or to be called light and fire at all. Tulit is gripped, it has to be held on to by a, by a wick. Or with wads. With the nature of fire is to retreat and to go back to its root and to its source. The reason why God is called a fire is because there's something about fire. What do we see about fire? In order to have a, a fire, a, a, a fire uh, down here, um, one, the, fire has to be, the fire has to hold on to something. There has to be a wick, there has to be logs, there has to be something where the fire can hold on to that the fire is burning. If there is no fuel, if there's something, if there isn't there anything to hold the fire down, to anchor the fire down, so the fire disappears, it's not here anymore. 
What happens to the fire? Where does the fire go if it doesn't have any fuel? So scientifically, I don't know the, what, 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 how they explain the, 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 the energy of the fire when there is no fuel. But spiritually, the idea is that the energy of that fire stems from a place beyond higher. And fire really is a, is a, is a, is a substance that is really beyond our atmosphere, from, from way up there. It doesn't really belong here. Nevertheless, God made it a, available for us that we should be able to draw down that energy and bring it down here below. If there is something holding it down, it will stay. It will be. But if there isn't anything holding it down, so then the fire, naturally the fire, retreats, goes back to where it comes from, to its source. So that's why you can look at the fire. You see, the fire expresses this. Look at a flame. The flame is soaring upward as if it's, as if it's very dissatisfied. It's not happy where it is. It wants to be elsewhere. It's tearing. It's, it's longing to go somewhere else. It's only held down. It's trapped. It's trapped by the wick or the, the substance that's holding it down. As soon as it burns out that substance, nothing to hold it, so then poof, the fire goes back to where it comes from. So he's playing the same as also with God. God is infinite. God has no restrictions, no limitations whatsoever. For God to reside, to give energy to the creation. Or in other words, as we spoke earlier, for the words of God, for the creative life force that God has bestowed initially when He created the world, and there is this creative life force that God constantly imbues within the creation, which constitutes divine speech. God spoke and the world came into being. That speech, those words, have to continuously imbue the world with existence. God spoke and that energy was diffused, was implanted into the creation. Every aspect of the world, we know what the Kabbalists tell us, that every aspect of the world consists has a divine energy, giving it its life, making it be. So we know even today, so everybody knows that matter is really energy. But what's that energy? That energy is a divine word. God speaks. And God's word is forever. When we speak, the, we speak a word and then the word is gone. When God speaks, The words of our God stands forever. So when He speaks, His words continuous. So perpetually God is giving life to the world. But that energy that God puts into the world feels itself extremely claustrophobic. It feels stuck in the narrow, the narrow creation. Because how majestic and how beautiful and how expansive the universe is and everything that's in it, but compared to the infinite, undefinable light, this is an extremely narrow crack, as we learned somewhere else. Like a little crack in a... In a, in a, in a, in a, in a and we learned the example in another discourse, like a little mouse that lives in a little crack. So for that infinite light to enter into the create, the, na- the narrow creation, this is, the light is very uncomfortable here. And it wants to go back to where it comes from. And that's the idea, it's like a fire that's surging upward. You need something to hold it down. You need wicks, you need fuel, logs, something to keep that down. And there has to be a constant a constant effort to keep God vested within creation. If God forbid that energy would retract and go away, so all of existence would return to naught, to nothingness. So there has to be a, conscious, a, con- a constant effort to bring God into the world. He's going to explain the wick, the, the wood, that is the Torah and the mitzvahs that we do. That's considered wicks and fuel that keep God, the divine presence within the world. 
God forbid there is no mitzvot being performed, there's no Torah being studied, and there's nothing within the world to keep Hashem's light in here. And that's the comparison. Let's read it inside. And he's going to explain that's why souls have to be within the world. Because the souls are the only ones who can connect and keep the divine res- uh, 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 presence within the world. Without souls, without the Jewish soul within the world, God, they're, they're the glue. They're that, 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 that power, that gravitational pull that pulls God into the creation. Without the Jew being in the world, without the performance of the mitzvahs, without doing, then, 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 then there would be that ultimate separation. So now let's read it. And the verse says, "Kesham alikecha eishayichlu pidush shaderach marshal." This is by way of analogy. Kesham shaeishas like fire. Einay meir veeinay nitzvus likru b'sham or veeish klal. Fire is not cannot be called fire. There is no disembodied floating fire. There's no such thing as a fire is floating. It has to hold, it has to be burning something. Atsha nechas bepsila. It has to hold on to a wick or beeit some more or to logs. And the reason why the fire needs to be held down, anchored down, because naturally it will float away. Because the nature of fire is to go back above to its root and to its foundation. So the word of God, which the heavens were came into being through God speaking. And with the breath of his mouth, all the hosts were created in the ten utterances that the world was created when God said, Yehi or let there be light. Yehi rakia, let there be a firmament. So the verse says, It says, is, Aren't my words like fire? God says. So why is God com- comparing His words like fire? So God is saying, take a look at the fire and you'll see. The fire doesn't want to be here. You have to, you have to do something to keep it down. Just like fire has that nature of going away, to return to its source, so now he's going to actually bring an example of where you see that speech is associated with fire. We say that God's words have that fiery element that they want to always go, to, they're drawn to their source back in God. So what do we see? This is another interesting thing. He says, in human speech, it's the same thing. Speech animates from the, from the fiery elements within the human being. Where does speech come from? Speech is created through, from, from breath. In order to speak, you need breath. Breath comes from the lungs, comes from the heart. That area, the, warm, the warmth of the person, the heat of the human being is the heart. That's why we know we associate emotions with the heart. Emotions are excitement. Emotions are, are heated up. The mind is associated with, with the element of water. The mind is cool. Mindful person always keeps us cool. The opposite of excitement. The more intellectual, the more rational, the more logical, the more understanding of someone is, there's a calmness, like water is very calm. Emotions are heated up. Fire is associated with the heat, is associated with the... Where does words come from? Speech comes from the heart, comes from the breath. So when God speaks, it means it's the element of fire that is emanating from Him. That's why the word um, 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 speech has to do with Hevel. Hevel, breath, is called in Hebrew. Breath is called Hevel. Hevel means breath. The same word, Hevel, if you rearrange the letters, you have the word Halev. 
Because what's the source of where Hevel comes from? Where does breath come from? Breath comes from the heart. The heart is Halev, the heart. What is the heart made out of? Lahav. Lamed Hevez, Lahav means flame. So the flaming lave produces the Hevel, produces the breath. So one follows the other. It begins with the fiery element, the Lahav, the flame. That expresses itself Halev in the heart. The heart is the heat, the, 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 the fiery element of the person, producing the Hevel, producing the breath. And because of its fire characteristics, it's drawn to its source. As he says over here, um, just like by way of analogy by a person. Speech comes from the element of fire. Because speech comes out from the breath of a heart. It goes through the, um, the, the, the pipe. What's the pipe called? The pipe of... Uh, the... the, the, the the windpipe, yeah. The halev, so it goes through the halev, the, 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 the and the lev, that's where the fire element of the soul is. The alkane, and therefore, tsirufam, the word hevel, that word creates three words. Hevel, breath, halev, heart, la, fire, because that's the seed of the fire. And then when, as we apply this to God, how this applies to, the, to God the infinite, he says we can't explain this at great length over here. This is not the place for it. This is expe- explained elsewhere. And the wise will understand. But it's not, it's not important that we get into this right now over here. What exactly this means by God. But over here he just wants to bring out one point. Just like fire seeks to go back to its source. Speech seeks to go back to its source. Nimtza comes out. It cannot be called the light, the light of God. The And God's light cannot be considered light and radiant only if it takes hold on something. Something has to hold it down. Something has to trap it, keep it. Only through it descending through many, many, many progressive descents that it should be grasped onto something. To find expression in something physical. As it says, All you've made with wisdom. Now it is known, Now it is known that which it says on the verse. God, O oh God, your words always stand in the heavens. That, see, creation is not a one-time thing. You would say, well, God created the world whenever it was. Um, 5,766 years ago according to the Torah account um, when God created the world so um, he created it then and for whatever reason the energy of God descended and it took on a physical form and now it's, it's it has a it's, it's held down because it is in a and whatever stimulated it then was then but now it's there already now we don't have to constantly create that force to draw the light down. So he says that's not, that's not so. Because creation is an ongoing thing. As alluded to in the verse, it says, God, forever your words stand in the heavens. It's a verse in Psalms. It says, Lo'olam Hashem Forever God's words, your words stand in the heaven. What, is this, what does this verse mean? Forever God, your words are in the heaven. 
So the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidim, uh, uh, um, uh, explains this verse as meaning as follows. And then really the source of it is really a medrash already. That when you say, when it says, God, your words forever are in, this, are in the heavens, it means when God spoke, let there be a heaven, let there be a firmament. Those words are ongoing. It's not like God spoke at once and, and the, the world is a creation and the, world can, and, 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 the, and the creation exists by itself. God is continuously speaking the world. His words, let there be a firmament, continues to perpetually create the heavens. And so to all the other, all the other, the utterances. Kidvar Hashem Shaboy Shamayim Nasu, because the word of God that with its heaven was created, Nitzav Shom Lo'oilam, stands there forever, Kilo'oilam Umahave Me'ayin Le'yesh, because God is continuously creating ex nihilo, from nothing to something. It's a continuous thing. He's bringing the world into existence from absolute nothingness to, to that something. And this is also in Medrash, in the, in the Medrash of, of Psalms, al Pasigzeh. And this is what it says over there. What is it? The Medrash asks, what, what word of God is in the heavens? Or rather, God is saying, What substantiates? What holds up the heavens? On those words that I once uttered, and I said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and those words continue to create the heavens. And in those words that I created them, on this they stand forever. Creation doesn't have an independent existence even after God created it. He's continuously bringing it into existence from absolute nothingness. Therefore it says, Forever your word stands in the heaven. So this is all a parenthetical idea. The main point he wants to bring out, since creation is a constant thing, so we have to draw that, that energy, we have to draw the, the, the vitality and the, the divine uh, um, um, creative energy into the creation continuously. Because in it by itself, it wants to go back. It wants to depart. So, in the, now in the beginning of creation, in the onset, the original, when God created it the first time, initially, what caused God to create the world? Why did He invest all that energy? Why did He put that, that, that why did He take the light from its infinite state? And you can say and squeeze it into this, this, this finite existence. The first time God did it, He did it out of benevolence, out of kindness. Kindness means there was no one there to initiate it. There was no one there to stimulate it. There was no one that deserved to be created. Because there was no one there. You can't speak about deserving. You can't say the world deserved to be created because there was no world. So who deserved it? So creation didn't deserve to be created. Why did God create it? Because He decided out of His own volition, out of His own decision, out of His own goodness and kindness that He wants to create a world. But after God created the world, now he wants the creation to stimulate him that the creation should call forth its own creation. That God, the creation should deserve to be created. We should, we should create within, within him an interest and a desire to create, to continue to create the world. And for that, which means we have to supply the fuel which, he can, which can hold him down. And we have to, so the fuel is the wick 
and the, and the wood or whatever it is, the constant, the constant, you, know, you, keep, you want to keep the fireplace burning, you have to constantly put logs in. So that's why the Jew has to, all of us, we have to constantly do mitzvahs. Because in that performance of mitzvahs, the continuousness, that keeps the light flowing, as we say. In the beginning, at the onset of creation, this came about by God on His own. And from within Himself. Because God desires kindness. Because He's kind. In order for the world to be alive and to exist forever, for Him to continue creating it, that is dependent on the work and on the efforts of the lowly, meaning of the creation itself. We have to draw on them. Kamashakasav, as it says, a verse as follows. This is a verse in Yeshaya, in Isaiah. It says like this. The verse reads as follows. Whatever is called in my name, and for my honor I created it, I also I, I formed it, and I also made it. So obviously God is speaking about creating the world. And He said, everything that is called in my name, everything that is called in my meaning is my creation. So for my honor, I created it, formed it, and made it. So what, what does God say? What, what brings Him to create the world? He created the world, lichvodi, for His honor. Now the question is like this. What does it mean He created for His honor? What's the honor? So the honor is called Torah and mitzvot. They're called the honor. Which means all of creation is dependent and we say on God's honor. What's His honor? Mitzvot are called His honor. As He's going to explain. The Ein Kavod Ela Torah. The Torah is called His honor. This is a Mishnah. This is a quote from the, from the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. In the 6th chapter of Pirkei Avos. It says over there Ein Kavod Ela Torah. So if it says and for my honor I created it I formed it and I made it so we're going to see these are three levels of creation so God says for my honor I created which means all of creation is because of the Torah for my honor which is the Torah which now what, if we break the Torah down into particulars what do we have? we have the 613 mitzvahs which make up what the Torah is all about and the mitzvahs are divided into two groupings there's 248 positive commandments and 365 prohibitive commands. Shehem Ramach Mitzvah which are the 248 positive mitzvahs, Vishasam Mitzvah Sloy and the 365 negative prohibitions. Shehem Heim Bchinaz Kalim Lahashroas Oyer Hashem. They are the vessels for the, for, 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 for the dwelling of God's light. Umachain Lashiftoy. And they're the, the facility, they, they're what fact facilitates God's dwelling. And God dwells in them, as we said before. Well, let's let's go back to the fire. The fire is is needs to needs to have something to hold it down. But not everything can be used as 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 uh, what's called again as fuel. Not everything can be used to, to, to as a wick. There are certain substances that are that, that lend themselves for a fire that, that make themselves that, that can that can host the fire, and there are certain things that can host the fire that reject the fire. You can't use a stone. You can't use a piece of metal to serve as fuel. You need to use oil, you have other kind of gas, or, 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 uh, or, uh, or, or, or wood, or dry wood, or whatever. These things can be used as a thing. So to not everything physical can serve as something that keeps the divine light down. 
It's only specific things that God says, this is what captures me into the creation. These are vessels which can hold me down. Because this is what I'm interested in. I'm drawn to these things. These are things I love. So by doing them, I vest myself in the creation. So the vessels of God are the 248, 248 mitzvot are considered kalim. That's the vessels that contain God's light. Now through, once God is already vested, once we perform mitzvahs, then once there is already that attachment to the creation, then God creates the rest of the universe. Even though most of the world is not involved in the mitzvot. Like most of the world is not doing it. There's so much of the substances of the, of, the, of the world that indirectly. The main point is God creates the world because of that mitzvah. That's what it's all about. Now, of course, there will be the rest of creation, but that's like extra props. What he's really interested is are, 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 are the mitzvahs and the Jew. That's cool. Why 248 mitzvahs? Because just like, let's take for, we know the 248 mitzvahs correspond to the 248 organs of a human being. A human being has 248 organs. Whatever, I don't have exactly the broken down to 248, but that's the number. So we have 248 mitzvahs corresponding to those organs. What is the function of organs, physical organs of a human being? The soul, the soul is, is a, 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 a um, spiritual entity a, 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 a abstract spiritual entity. Now the soul, in order for a soul to be captured down here below in a physical world, it needs, to, it needs to go in, it needs to take hold of a body, it needs to go into a body. If it doesn't have a body, then the soul can't be held down in a physical world, and it needs a human body. You know there is a concept of um, transmigrations of souls, or uh, reincarnations of souls. And when souls get reincarnated, sometimes there is a, a situation, a painful situation, a sad situation, where a soul gets, gets comes down and gets, and gets um, invested in the body of an animal. And that is considered a miserable state to be. And the reason for that is because the human soul the 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 the, 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 physic, the body of an animal is not the, the the chemistry the anatomy of the body of the animal doesn't suit the human soul so therefore it can't facilitate the human soul so um, the human soul doesn't express itself there it sits there but it's trapped it doesn't find any expression so it's an exile it's in prison it's an imprisonment in an alien body it, for a human being to for a human being to function, it needs to find a compatible body. For a human soul to function on earth, what's a compatible body? What's a body that, that fits, that is made tailored to fit the, the powers of the human soul? It's a human body. So when the human soul comes into a human body, it can fully express itself. It has a human brain so that it can, so that it can think uh, like a human being. It has human hands so that it can perform human acts instead of beastly acts. It has a certain elegance that a human being has. The, 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 the paws of, a, of an animal would never be able to, can't, can't, are not structured to be able to um, um, express and to materialize or actualize the talent of the human soul, the creativity and the talent of the human soul. You need a human hand, or human fingers that are tailored to express 
all the, 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 the talent and the thing that the soul, that the human soul has. It's particularly these limbs. It cannot be any other limbs. God fashioned the body to match accurately and perfectly to the soul. It's compatible. So that, that's what limbs are. Limbs are perfect vessels for the soul's powers to be expressed. Same as also, what suits God? What fits? What are things that God can express Himself in? Where does God express Himself in this world? In mitzvot. They host, they contain the divine, the, 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 divine, the, the divine being. So when a person is doing a mitzvah, it's not only you doing a mitzvah, you're just acting as a channel, as a conduit, for God expressing Himself. It's Him doing it almost like through you. It's His organs, it's His limbs. He's finding expression. But over here we're using it in the context of the fact that the 248 mitzvahs, that's God's body. That's what, what do you mean a body? That's what keeps Him, His soul, if you can say, His, God is the soul of the world. What keeps that cosmic soul, what keeps the universal soul of existence within the world, what's the body, all human activity, even the most spiritual activity, might be wonderful on human terms, it might be extremely spiritual, it might be one inspirational and, and lovely, but it's not expressive of God. To express God can only be God's will. And what is God's will? The 248 positive mitzvahs, they constitute the divine body. And what happens when there is no divine body? You know, what happens when there's no, God forbid, let's take, what happens if there is a, a breakdown in the human body? In the human body. For example, if uh, something serious, let's talk very extreme, God forbid there is a detachment of the head from the rest of the body. So even though there has just been a separation of the head from the body, so once the body is not complete, then what happens? Then the soul, then the soul vanishes. It doesn't mean that the soul ceases to exist. The soul continues to exist in the same manner that it existed before. But it's not present in our physical world. It goes back to a place where souls are. It goes back to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the other world, to the higher realms of existence. For a soul to be held down here, it needs a perfect, full healthy body and it's that healthy body where, that, where the soul can, find it, can be held down over here so too God needs for God to be present with the world there has to be a healthy body and what's the body? the body is the mitzvah the 248 limbs that's what keeps that's the body for God within the world that's lacking then God continues to be God but he's not present within the world and if he's not present within the world there is no world anymore and that's what we're saying God is a fire. A fire meaning that without a body, it can't be. It can't be disembodied. It needs a body to be held down with. And the body is the mitzvah. These are the vessels for the dwelling of God's light. This is a seat for him. God can live in the lower worlds. The heim heim, and these are kedimyan apsila. So this is like, this is like the wick. As we said earlier, not everything can be a wick. Just like not everybody can facilitate the human soul, so too the divine soul cannot be contained by any substance or any act. It has to be 
the appropriate act. So it has to be the wick and the thing. The eight shebehem nechas which in them the, the light takes hold. That it should not retreat and go back. God forbid. So now he's going to explain that deeper. Why does God need to be constantly stimulated into creating the world? Why can't he just make up his mind one time he wants to give it life? Then give it life. What's that constant, that constant uh, pull? Why does it have to be continuously? So he explains. The Zohar says it is not the style of the king to speak simple words. A king speaks kingly world, words. He speaks, he speaks words of a higher caliber if he's really deserving to be a king. I'm talking about Stama, uh, you know, a, 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 a lowly person who is, uh, who, 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 who uh, criminalized himself all the way up to the throne. I'm talking about someone who really deserves to be the king. So that person is an extremely uh, uh, elevated human being, a great person. And that person usually, all of his, all of his, all of his uh, conversation, all of his talk is of, a, is of a higher caliber, is of a higher state. Now if that king, if that, if the king for the king to speak about foolish things, little, little uh, uh, unimportant, insignificant things, you know, in the, in the king's eyes, this is all, it's all what we would say, it's, it's, it's narishkeit, foolishness, for the king to be occupied with something like that. So what the Zohar says in a fascinating thing, that the ten utterances that God spoke to create the world is considered foolish talk. It's not even fitting for God to say that. Now generally we look at the world and say, wow, God is great because he created such, a, such an amazing creation. But from the, from the deeper perspective, it's not that way. For God, this is a tremendous humility to lower himself down infinitely to create as awesome as the creation looks to us, as endless as it is, as intricate, as, 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 as unbelievably um, 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 intricate and, 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 and um, complicated and awesomely intelligent, the, the, the design that God put into this incredible creation. Nevertheless, for God, this is a joke. For him to say something as foolish as this, the Zohar says. Pidish milin, meaning milin dechdi, empty words, words that are, are valueless. She'enan me'erkoi, this is not of his caliber. So he explains, in a call all the worlds, the lower worlds and even the upper worlds, kulam ham milin dead yaita, baruch. They're all considered simple words or or um what's the right word for it? Uh, not simple, it's a milin dead yaita. Not fitting for they're not aristocratic words. They're 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 not inappropriate. It's not, it's like it's not, it's not a, a, compared to God all of his creation is completely is utterly inferior because God is exalted and beyond the creation tens of thousands up to infinite levels infinitely higher than it without an end and without an and all of creation is literally considered to God literally like naught, like absolute nothingness. Not a little important. It's literally valueless. Completely. Zero. By example, a king of flesh and blood. A mortal king. 
he has a treasury where he has thousands and tens of thousands of gold coins and silver and he has all the rich all the richness and all the wealth possible so the king and began then and then the king starts speaking about a, a few little a little clay pottery a few little chachkalich little 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 uh, um, um, uh, um, clay vessels that, that he has in the palace we understand that it's not fitting for the king a king that has such wealth so if the king is speaking about his, his uh, how much you know, money he has in the Swiss bank account and how much he has over here and how much he has over there do we understand but for God to talk about but, 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 but for the king to speak about uh, the, the pottery and, and made out of clay it's not fitting for him so same is also by God the king of the river and he speaks about mud piles and how many mud piles he has in his backyard or as or the, or the, or the, or the, or the, the clay of the that is inferior words words that have no value this and much more than this infinitely for God to speak the creation what God spoke in the Ted utterances is far infinitely more inferior. Let's put it this way. Again, a king who's got everything in the world to speak about little, 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 um, little earthenware. For the king to speak about these things, we understand that it's, one would be shocked that a king would be so busy with, 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 these, little, with these little nothings. So he says, infinitely more is it shocking for God to create such a lowly creation in terms of Him and His infinite value? Therefore, um, for God to create light, for Him to create this. Shehan Mil and because these are far more um, 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 simple, may offer v'cheres l'gaba kesev azov. Because what, what, what is the comparison? Before we're talking about silver and gold, what constitutes the king's... What is valuable in the king's eyes? The gold that he has. The diamonds that he has. What is inferior in the king's eyes? The, the earth. How far is earth from gold and diamonds? After all, they're both inanimate objects. And more than that, in truth, the, 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 the gold and the silver is also an inherently um, 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 made out of, 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 of uh, earth and, and minerals and so on and so forth. It's really of the same quality. Just within that one realm of existence, there is the simple earth, and there is precious earth. Plus precious minerals, which constitute the fine, fine gems. But inherently it's the same thing. Nevertheless, we understand that if someone who has a lot of this speaks about this, what we could, might say is junk, it, it, it would, it, it's, it's, it's a wonder. It's, it's, it's a tremendous lowering of oneself down to speak about it. Now, for God, to sp- the worlds, by to God, all worlds are literally not. It's not like they're from the same realm. It's not like there is God and there is the worlds. They're completely from a God is the worlds are not. They have no existence at all. So for Him to speak about it is absolutely foolish. So nevertheless, um, as He said, Shem Gamkinim Yonam Gashmi. Because in earth and, in, and, and silver and gold, they're both physical. Pchenaz diamond, they're both of the inanimate. Kamaya afar v'acheres, just like uh, earth and, and clay. Umina afar nekachet, and from the earth they're taken. Ela betzroi fesakeset, 
However, when you take it and you and you and you cleanse the silver, azav, and when you process the gold and you purify it, nasim they become very valuable. they become so separated, so exalted from the earth to the point that you say, if you have this, why would you busy be? Why would you busy with that? To the point that regular earth has absolutely no equivalence or no value whatsoever. But the worlds in comparison to God, and even the highest worlds, the Ganeidin Elyon and the supernal Ganeidin, like we learned last week, the Olam Abba and all that, they have absolutely no significance at all. The and the highest realms and the highest worlds that have such deep understanding have absolutely no comprehension in God at all because He infinitely transcends them infinitely so they know nothing of Him and they're compared as absolute nothing so you can't say put it this way you can't say that the world has any any, any value, intrinsic, inherent value in it that God created it because it deserves to exist because God saw in it some content to create it See, you know, it was a beautiful thing that God decided to make like a painter who makes a beautiful piece of art it's something that called it called to be created it deserves to be created because it has value in the painter's eyes it's of something, it's of significance so we might say for God too, the creation has an importance. He says the creation has absolutely no importance because it's not. What then? The only thing that's of importance to God is His honor, which is mitzvahs, Torah and mitzvahs. That's Him. That's an extension of Him. In the realm of the godly, nothing can have any significance but the godly. So what is the godly in creation? So we have to find the godly in creation. That's what... In other words, what, what makes creation interesting to God is the, God, is, the godly, is the godly presence in creation, not the creation in it by itself. What is the divine expression in creation? The divine expression in creation are the mitzvot, because in that is what, what, what God desires. As he says, So to keep God speaking these foolish, these foolish little words, to get him to continuously say that, there must be something of value within it, and that is, we have to continuously create or draw down that by, by continuing doing mitzvahs. And that is why we find that the angels say, Kadosh, 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 Kadosh. Kadosh meaning, so what do they say? They say, like the verse we say, Kadosh, 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 Holy, 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 Hashem Tzavakos, God of hosts, His glory fills the earth. So what is the meaning of this? God is holy, but His glory fills the earth. For they're saying something as follows. What does holiness mean? Holiness means detached, removed. This week's parasha, Kedoshim, holy. So Rashi says, be, be separated, Muvdalim, be separated from immorality. The Ramban says, be, the Nachmanides writes, be separated from, from physical indulgence. Live a higher life. Live a more spiritual life. Don't be a glutton. That's what, that's what the, that's the meaning of Kedosh. So Kedosh means separate. So the angels are saying, God is beyond the creation. Kadosh, Kadosh, to the point he's so beyond, three times beyond. What does it mean three times beyond? So beyond that 
the creation is absolutely meaningless to him. However, where so about why, if it's meaningless, why is he creating it? Where is God present? From the angels, he's infinitely detached. But where is he intimately involved? On earth is where God really is. Why? Because performance of mitzvahs are done on earth. Where is God's glory? As we said earlier, why did God create the world? For His glory. What is kavod? Ain't kavod ele Torah. Where is Torah studied? Down here below in our world, in our physical planet. So, we, we always think, conventional wisdom tells us that the angels are much closer to God because they're up there in those worlds of light. So, that, so you're ever saying the exact opposite. They're infinitely removed. How removed? To the point that they literally, they have absolutely no inkling in who God is. They have nothing and they have, from them, He is infinitely removed. We are intimately attached because His glory, which means mitzvah performance, which is where God really is, where His heart and soul is, that's on Aretz, down here below. Because this is the fuel. Here is the wick where we can perform. They don't have that. As he said, because by them who because to them God is in truth holy and separated. without an end. exalted and beyond from the days of the world. Because as we say in davening, you are the one before the world was created. and you are the same way after you created the world. What does that mean? That creation didn't make any change. Just like God was the exclusive being before He created the world, He is the exclusive being after He created the world. How can God be the exclusive being after He created the world? Because all of creation is nothing. It's zero. If it amounts to zero, then there's nothing, then it's still, it doesn't challenge God's exclusivity. To that degree, it's nothing. It's so nothing that it didn't, it didn't make any change in God at all. It's not even the slightest change. It doesn't change any. And God says, I, God, have not changed. Where is God's glory present? He fills the lower world. Kevodo, His glory is down here. Now, now He takes the word Kevodo. Till now He said it's His glory. And the glory is Torah. Deeper, a deeper interpretation over here to the word glory. He said down here is His, is his honor. Down here is his... Honor also means... Down here are God's garments. Torah is valuable not because of the Torah, because whatever the Torah is. Torah is valuable because that's the garment of God. The, the Talmud says, tells us that Rabbi Yochanan, one of the great sages, would call his garments mechabdusa. He would call them those who honor me. Because garments honor a person. The clothing makes the man. Right? So first, so what, the deeper, in our, in our sense, we say Torah is God's glory because Torah honors garments. What is a garment? A garment is where you enclose yourself. You go into your garment. Where does God vest Himself? Where is He present? Where does He, where does he flow? He flows in the Torah. That's where He invested His wisdom. He invested His will in the Torah and in the mitzvahs. That's why, so they say, God's garments are down here below, not in the heavens. Because they only exist from a tiny little, 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 little crumb of a crumb of a crumb of a crumb of God's light. But God's very inner interest is only in our physical world where the mitzvahs are performed. 
The Rabbi Yochanan, Pidush Lov, the Rabbi Yochanan, Karda Lamani Mechabdus, because Rabbi Yochanan called his clothing, uh, called his clothing of uh, those who honor me. Shasham Nislabish Bemaisa Mitzvah. Because down here below, God has enclosed himself in the act of mitzvahs, the kiyam Torah, and the fulfillment of Torah. That's, so mitzvahs are called God. Now he's going to explain another reason why Torah is, the reason why Torah is called the honor of God, because of the, up till now we explained it, not because of the Torah study, but he explained it more relating to the mitzvot. The mitzvahs are called the limbs of God, the garments of God. Now he's going to relate it also to Torah study. Torah is called Kavod not only not only because of the mitzvahs, which are the garments of God, the vessels, the, the, the limbs of God, but also attributing it to the Torah itself, to the study of Torah. Why? Because the Gama Torah, also the Torah, who Torah is also God's wisdom and God's will. Shahu Kavoda, which is his honor. What does it mean the Torah is the will and the wisdom of God? That's what the Torah is all about. Look what is the Torah? The Torah tells us how God thinks. And the Torah tells us what God's desires are. So it gives us, it transmits to us the will and the wisdom of God. Which really means the splendor cloak of His garment. And that's how God fills the earth through filling the Torah. Another interesting aspect about it is the word kavod is the numeric value of the word kavod is 32. Kavod equals 32. Torah, we know, stems from, the, from a spiritual place called Chachma. Chachmi love, divine wisdom. And in, 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 in uh, Zohar and in other Kabbalistic uh, uh, writings, literature, you find many references to Lamid Beis Nesivos Chachma. 32 pathways of wisdom. The number 32 connected to the pathways of wisdom. So Torah is the word... Um, um, kavod, which is the Torah, and kavod el Torah, Torah is called kavod, is equivalent to 32. Because we're dealing with 32 pathways. What does that mean? What does it mean a pathway? We understand that the Torah in its source, as it exists way up there in its spiritual heights, over there it's unfathomable. No one can understand the Torah up there because it's, it's divine wisdom. And our mortal minds cannot grasp it. In order for the Torah itself to descend to our world, it has narrow pathway, uh, 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 um, narrow passageways, like a little trail, or like a narrow. There's a, open, a, a big road, and then there's a little trail. A trail is where, you know, where one can reach a very distant place. If it's here's an issue. If it's the place is close by, so you have a big, usually a close area from one place to that, especially next to the palace. Next to the palace, the roads are broad roads big roads from one place to the next place in the capital in the main city but if the king wants to send something to a very somewhere way 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 a far fetched little little village in the other corner in the end of his kingdom somewhere in the middle of the of the nowhere so there is no big road there's a little dirt road first it's a dirt road then it becomes a fire a fire road then it becomes a little narrow trail and then it's hardly a trail until he can get down to that favorf in a lost place so when we want to speak about God's wisdom making its way down, all the way down to the most far-flung corner of existence, which is our physical world, because that's where the Torah comes down to. So we speak about Lamed Beis Nesiva Chachma, 32 pathways, narrow pathways, which that life has to travel to look to condense itself and come down over here. 
But nevertheless, that's God's cover. I mean, despite the fact that the Torah descended to be, comprehensi- to be able to be comprehensible in a human mind, it's still the kavod of God. It's still the Lamed Bey's. Kavod means God is vested in those 32 pathways where the Torah comes down to make itself accessible to us. So where is God present? Malokal aretz kavodo down here. The kavod of Gematria Lamed Bey's the 32 pathways of Chachm. Hemilichum, these other pathways. is with the, where the supernal wisdom of God progresses to the progression of worlds lower and lower till encloses itself in the oral Torah in our world and in our world see, even though there's only 32 but when it gets down here it becomes many 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 various different trails because we know there's 60, 60 uh, tractates 60 mesechtes and then it becomes from the 16th Mesechtis it gets so many books the whole book Jewish library and they're all little pathways with the little trickles of divine wisdom as it manifests itself in all these various different applications Yesh Nesiva it's like a trail yeah first first a few then it, then, then it gets divided into many more trails and then they break into many more and more and more as it gets lower Yesh Nesiva it's Harbeh first he enclosed himself in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the order of of plants, of Zerah, the first order of the mission. The Yashar Seder Moed, and the Moed, then it begins. Now the Torah comes down to us. The main point is that God, His interest, the, His presence within the world is only as a result of Torah and Mitzvahs, because He by nature is a fire, a fire that wants to retreat and go back over there, and the Torah and the Mitzvahs is what keep God stuck or interested and involved within the creation. Now, he says, but Torah itself can be divided into three, three general categories. We said in Empirke Yavis, there are three pillars in which the world stands. Ala Torah, Ala Vodav, Al Gemilas Chasadim. On Torah study, Ala Vodah on sacrifices, on the service of God in the temple, Al Gemilas Chasadim, on acts of kindness and charity. So, general, so he says, these three aspects, today, as we have them today, today we don't have the service in the temple. But instead, we have. What, what substitutes that is prayer. So today, the Jew, a Jew's life is primarily, our worship to God is divided into three forms of worship. A Jew, we go, we, we, we pray, we pray every day, three times a day. Sometimes we pray four times a day. And then we have the, 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 that, the so that's instead of the service in the temple. Then we have Torah study. We act, some part of the day, every Jew is obligated to study the Torah. And then we have performance of mitzvahs. And that's what, why is, if we have to keep the divine presence down to the world, why particularly in three ways, ala Torah and Muslim? And that is going to explain because primarily creation exists on three levels. So there's a, God, the world, there's three, there's three rungs to creation. There's a world, the, the first world is called Olam Abriya, the world of creation. Then there's Olam Hayatsira, the world of formation. And then there's Olam Asiya, the world of action. Olam Asim is our physical world. Olam Hayatsira is a more spiritual world of angels which is less defined and called the Yitzira, and then Olam Abriya. Olam, let's start the other way around. Olam Abriya is where you have the beginnings of somethingness emanating from the divine nothingness. Okay, God himself can't be defined in any definitions, right? as we said earlier. He has no, no, no character whatsoever. So when God begins to create entities, things, stuff, okay, he creates stuff, so those stuff in the original, and, and their very original state hardly hardly have an identifiable presence. So you have, you have something, but that something is very subtle. 
And that's called the initial state of creating yesh me'ayin. It's sort of the raw material. It's very, very, it's not yet constricted and limited and fashioned. It's just, that's called the world of Bria, where the energy is still extremely, where the substance of the creations are extremely undefined yet. And therefore the creations of those worlds are extremely lofty beings, because they're not yet stuck in being narrow. They weren't yet cut in the cookie cutter. They haven't yet been formed and fermented into a harder, rigid um, um, existence. Then comes Olam Ayatsira, next stage in creation, where the creations get more of an ego because they get formed. Yatsira means to take that, that formless substance that's already a something, but it doesn't have much of a form yet, and to create it further and turn it into certain form. And then the next stage is to materialize it into a physical state. Because even, even when it gets a form, it gets a spiritual character, not a physical character. Olam Asiya is to bring it down into a physical body in our physical world. Now to keep each one of these progressive states of creation needs, needs to, we need to stimulate God into all these three levels of creation. So how do we stimulate God into all three levels of creation? So there is that aspect of our service to God that draws him into the initial state of Olam Abriya to create the initial, the initial uh, material, you can say, spiritual material with which later the world is based on, created on. Then you need a specific other type of a surface that's going to make God get even more involved into the details of creation to give everything its particular form on the next level of creation and then ultimately to channel the energy down all the way into a physical body into, into this physical world and this corresponds to the three parts this is all alluded to in the verse we said earlier in, uh, in Isaiah, in Isaiah. what does it say over there? Call Bishmi, whatever was called in my name Luchvodi, I created for my honor we said it's Torah and Mitzvah how did, and what did I create? Barasiv, I created it Yitzartiv, I formed it Afasisiv, I also made it. So we're speaking about the three levels of creation. Kivod be my honor, as we said before, which is Torah and Mitzvahs, has to find expression on these three levels, on Bria and on Yitzira and on Asiya. Really, these three things correspond to the human, are there also in the human experience. Thought, speech, and action correspond to these three levels, three levels of existence. Thought is the first initial experience within man. We can say, Thoughts are really the word Berea, by the way. I just forgot to mention this before. It's hinted to in these three words. Berea means, in Hebrew, the word Berea, create, means to create something new. From nothingness to get to something. When you have already a substance and you only, you only um, shape it and form it and fashion it in a certain way, that's not called Berea, that's called Yetzirah. Yetzirah means to design something, to fashion something. But you have already a material, you're only giving it another shape and a form. But the initial creating from nothing, that, that, that newness, is called Bria. In the human experience, where do you have yesh meyayin? Where does something new? Thought. Thought is a new thing. Something new pops into your thought. From nowhere. As if, the, as if that, 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 that thing didn't have a, pre, a previous existence. It comes from nowhere. So it's yesh meyayin. Speech is not new. Because everything you're going to say, all words you're going to speak, existed already where? They existed in the thoughts. You couldn't, you couldn't speak it unless you thought of it. And it's that very same idea that you're going to speak, 
pre, is there already on a higher form as it is in thought. It's only that in thought, it's not yet, it's not chunky. It's extremely, it's extremely elegant, uh, it, it, it's extremely what? Ethereal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's abstract and it's not yet, it's, it, it's not as defined yet. It's loosely defined. When it comes into words, every letter, as you speak it, it becomes a spoken word, it begins to get, it gets a form. Right? And, then, and then there is action, a physical action. That's the third level of thing. So therefore, our performance of Torah and mitzvahs has to be with thought, speech, and action. Prayer, he's going to explain, is the experience of thought. Torah study is the experience of speech. And performance of mitzvahs is the performance of action. Alright, let's read it inside. Yeah, what was your question? That that initial no 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 the, the initial material that was there prior to creation the initial material oh, not not prior to creation that olam abria that we spoke about earlier that's called choshech dark the reason why it's called dark that that initial substance because it's not yet defined so it's still dark that world is dark and that's bore that's the new yesh mei from the world of choshech. When he starts forming it, it becomes light. To us down here, to him it gets darker. From looking up, it gets narrower and smaller. But from us looking upward, first it's choshech, because on the level of Bria, we, don't really, we can't comprehend anything. It's like, I can't know your thoughts, because your thoughts are too... too uh, but once you speak it, so then it becomes light to me. So it was darkness. So for example, a student is sitting with his teacher, and the teacher wanders off in his own thoughts. So the student, the student is in the dark, there's darkness. Even though the teacher is experiencing great light, but from the, 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 to the student there is darkness. Then when the teacher takes those thoughts and formulates them into spoken words, so then there comes light. But that's only, that's not yesh mayayin. When the teacher conceives the new thought, that's yesh mayayin, that's bore. But when the teacher transmits it into words, that's not yesh mayayin, that's only yotzer. He's forming the idea that he had into words. Right? That's, that's why it says that way. Hinei, now behold, klal kola toiru mitzvahs, the order, the, the whole general realization of Torah mitzvahs, ham gimel madregis, exist on three levels, shahem toiru tzvilo tzedak, which are Torah study and prayer and tzedak. Ikedetnan, as the Mishnah states, al shloi shedvarim o'elom o'emit. The world stands on three things. Ala Torah, and Torah, v'al avod, and avod, and now we understand. What do you think the world stands on these things? It's, it's, it's just awesome. Because generally, when we say the world stands, it's okay, you know, good, okay, good. Suddenly, <laughs> it's a schus, it's a tremendous schus. If we learn Torah, we study mitzvahs, then we're doing merits, and God, uh, you know, keeps the world going. Not that. He, he explains, the world has to exist. It needs, you need, you need, you need fuel. It's quite literal. You need something in each stage of creation. You need something to keep the divine presence there, because naturally it would retreat. It would go back. So you need, you need Torah, Avodah, on all three of them. Because Tfilah is instead in the place of the, of the, of the service of sacrifice. And is the same thing as Tzedakah. Charitable acts, charity. And corresponding to these three things, I created it, I formed it, I also made it. 
Shehem Machshav Adibur This is why we have to do the mitzvahs on three levels of thought, speech, and action. Barasiv Hupchenas Machshav. I created it as thought. Shehupchenas Bria. Because thought, because Bria means to create Yesh Meyayin, something from nothing. And that's thought, because thought is where an idea pops out from nothing to something. You have an idea. So he neged tefillah, and this is corresponding to prayer. Shehi avoid which is the service of the heart. Prayer is, 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 even though we speak our prayers, and we, most of the time in prayer we're busy talking, and we don't really know where our concentration really is, but it's mainly talking. But that's really not what prayer is. Prayer is connecting to God in your thoughts. That's what it's all about. And really prayer should be meditation. That's what prayer really is all about. The only reason we have to say the words, and it says you should speak the words loudly, is not because of the, the value of the words. So halachically we have to say it. But, the, but that's only a means to an end. It has a purpose. The reason why you're supposed to say the words is because speaking usually captures your... It, 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 it helps you concentrate. Saying it helps you concentrate. So therefore, the, once you get used to it, then the opposite. You get, you're so used to it, it becomes robotic, so you're speaking... You have to just think it, then maybe we'll be. But generally, say real kavana. But the truth is, explains deeper than that. That when you say things, if you are, if you're focused, if you're not focused, you're not focused. But if a person is focused, and then you say it, you're able to concentrate on a much deeper level. Because speech, speech opens up the person, so you can connect to a much deeper place. So he negadat fila, and that is up, that is corresponding to prayer. She avoid the shabalev. The Gemara says. Serve God with all your heart. And the sages ask, What's called Ezuhu Avodah What's called Avod of your heart? Zutfilo, that's prayer. Zuha Kavana. It's the thought, and in the desire of the heart. Meaning, the main point of prayer is not only to think, think about God, it's to connect, God with the, to connect to God with the desire of one's heart. And to evoke within a person a very deep, Deep connection and their insight, Hashem. Kamaimer is all to say, just tell us, prayer without intent, without concentration, is like a body without a soul. So then, but, but if that's the case, why do we speak by prayer? Prayer should only be an exercise in thought. And the speech of prayer, it's only that the voice should arouse the, the intention. But it's not about that, it's about. And that is why it stands... That is, that's the connection to, to sacrifice. Because sacrifices, even though it was a very physical act, they were busy with... with it seems like from all the mitzvahs, this was the most involved with, with, with physical material. They were busy with the meat and with the blood and with the sprinkling. and the, It seems so... So... Um, so... Um, yeah, tangible and physical and... and, and Nevertheless, we know that the, that the main service in the temple was mainly the priests, the Kohanim in the temple, were in constantly in a deep state of meditation when they did their service. They were deeply connected to very high places in their thoughts. That's why we know the only thing in, in Judaism, it's also this week's parsha, that, that you can ruin. You know, in, in all of mitzvot, the main thing is the act. You do a mitzvah, we don't care what your thoughts are. It's the, it's the act that counts. You mean, but, the, but there's one area where thought can damage it. And that is karbonus. This week, 
it says speaks about pigle. If the Kohen who does the carbon is thinking that he's going to eat it after the t- permissible time allotted for eating the particular sacrifice, the whole thing becomes... And we don't find anywhere that Torah is so sensitive to thought. And over here you can ruin it by just a negative thought, the whole thing is botched. And the reason for that is because really the, 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 the whole experience, the whole service in the temple was all connected to the realm of thought. The service of the, of the base English was the pen, only Kohanim can serve in the temple because the three categories of the Jewish people, Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael, correspond to thought, speech, and action. Yisrael is, is about action. The Levi, they serve God through singing, through their, their speech, through their words. That was the Levium. And the Kohanim, with the desire of the heart. That's what they were. They, the Kohanim were the people that were in, 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 that, in, in, in that world of thought. As mentioned in the Zohar. So prayer comes instead of that. So what does that mean? That one's thought and one's intention should be connected to God. That one's thought should be cleaved to God and to be a chariot to God and for one to give himself over his desire, his soul and his desire to God. That one should accomplish and bring himself to a state where they only have one desire and one heart to their Father in Heaven. Not to be separated from God's unity and God's oneness. What does he say? What is the intention in prayer? What should be one's intention? He say, well, try, first concentrate on the words. Whatever, whatever the word thing, in the, on the simple meaning of the word. But really, prayer calls for a much deeper concentration. It's not just to say the words and have a mind, whatever, whatever you're saying, God's praises. Connect, the, 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 the meditation and the inner intent that one has to have by prayer is that one should reach a point where one surrenders himself completely to God's unity and God's oneness. To the point that one, by prayer, one has to try to access a state of awareness where I'm willing to give up on my independent existence, like we spoke earlier. Lim I'm giving up my entire being. In other words, the truth is, as we said earlier, that there's really nothing but God. And there cannot be any. But God created through many concealments that we are separated and sense ourselves apart and separate and sometimes extremely important and very real. Prayer is a time, and that's, and that's just the way things are when we open up our eyes and we walk outside and we see the world and we don't see God. So the world becomes extremely real and our perception of self becomes that it's very real. Prayer is the one time that we go out of that world, we go out of that space and we look into the little siddur, we look into the little prayer book and we allow our, our minds to enter into these holy words. And when we enter into these old worlds, the higher reality is exposed to us. The divine reality. And one has to strive by prayer to reach a point where one is frustrated with this, that I'm so separated and so detached from the truth, from the absolute reality. I live in such, I live in such an illusion. I live in such emptiness. I live in such foolishness thinking of myself that I am everything and everything evolves around me when I'm not even a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck of nothing because all of creation is nothing and how much of a speck am I? Nothing. 
So why am I so caught up in this, in this nothingness? So one has to reach that point of frustration in the Dalai. I don't want this. And I want the cleave to give up. And what does it mean to join that reality? It means that, I'm, that one sees the only thing that's important is connecting to God and fulfilling God's desire. That's all that's important. That's a lot. It's easy to talk about it. It's only thing to be able to strip yourself free from all identity, from all beingness, from all I and I and I and I, to, to, to leave that alone and to connect and to the point where one becomes, one has to desire to become a conduit for God, a channel, a vehicle. It means one's entire life is dedicated and devoted just for God's will to be realized through the person. So in prayer, one wants to reach that state of consciousness, that state of awareness. So prayer is really about bringing your inner space, aligning it with God. Mitzvahs are connecting your outer space, your, your physical reality. Prayer, it's you want to, your inner consciousness, your mind, your heart, should connect to, that ex, to, to the exclusive reality of Hashem and to merge into that reality. That has to be one's desire during prayer. As he says, Lim to give up one's, and the peak of it is by Shema Yisrael. We say God is Israel, He is one and there's none but Him. To give up one's soul, one's own desire. That the only important thing is God. And one heart, to one's Father in Heaven. One should desire never ever to leave go, because sadly, even while someone achieves this during prayer, one is aware of the fact that the moment I'll close my prayer book and I go outside and I leave the shul and I face the world outside all that, all that truth which I, which, I, which I stand face to face with when I'm dominating my encounter with God fades away as if it never existed and you go back to, to yourself and you go back to that, to that, to that other world so one, by dominating one wants to connect himself so deeply that one reaches the point where you don't want to go away from this you can't part from the sitter. You don't want to go out of the shul. You really don't want to go away from here. Particularly, not to separate from God. How will one accomplish never to be severed from God? By one never violating God's will. One departs from evil. Vasetoven, doing good. Again, we're not talking in the arena of action now. We're talking about while one is praying, one reaches a firm resolve that I will not disconnect myself by God by, by, by acting in, in contradiction to His will and I will remain connected by doing everything that He wants of me I say tov, I will do good and, 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 and the hainu and how is that accomplished that one cleaves and remains connected to God when the other side, the unholiness is subdued what is the unholiness? the unho- unholiness of, that is part and parcel of who we are we have that klipa, we have the shell that, that, that constantly draws us away from that oneness of Hashem by breaking that and remaining loyal to God one, re, one, one remains attached to that oneness to that connection so Azai then then God's light will radiate over one's soul and one remains enveloped in Hashem in God's light and this is what the blessings of of, of, of oh, now he's going to say that this is the way the prayer is constructed. What are we saying now? I mean, the main point he's bringing out right now, that davening is a time when one tries 
to connect Hashem to the point of the willingness to give up one's independent existence and to become an extension of God's light. Meaning I'm not an entity onto my own. I'm, I'm merged with Him. Where do we see this? So we see this when, during the Birch HaShachah, the blessings of the morning. What do we say in the blessings of the morning? We say all the blessings. Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed are you God, our God, the King of the universe, the King of the world. So what is that sequence? What do these words mean? Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. So really it's a request. Simply we think it's a blessing. We're blessing God. But God doesn't need our blessing really. So what we're really doing is we're requesting something. What are we requesting? Baruch comes from the word drawing forth. In Hebrew, lahavrich, when you want to draw energy from one tree to another, you want to grasp the tree, it's called lahavrich, to bring from one to the other. So baruch means to cause a flow. Baruch ata, we're saying God let it flow from you, ata from you, Hashem, from you and from your, from you as you, the name Yudke Vavke of God, is God, God Himself as He transcends the creation. So we're asking God, Elokeinu, that you should enter into the creation by becoming our God. And then we say, Melech Olam, the King of the world. Now here's a simple question. Aren't we part of the world? So why don't we just say, Baruch Atah Hashem, let it be elicited, let it be drawn forth from God, Hashem, Melech Olam. We, we should skip the word Elokeinu. And it should be, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, Melech Olam, the King of the world. And we as being part of the world. Because you want to draw forth the life force into the creation. What's the Elokeinu? Our God. Melech Olam, the King of the world. Our God refers to the unique relationship of the Jewish people with God. So it works like this. Baruch Atah, blessed are you, Hashem God. And then, at, that's all levels of God as He is above and beyond. Now we're beginning to, now we're beginning, God is beginning to enter into the realm of creation. How does He enter in? In order for Him to enter into the world, we said before, what, what is needed? You need fuel and wicks through which He will enter in. Now, we're going to speak about this greater and greater elaborate. He's going to elaborate on this. But in order for fire, which is one point we didn't speak about earlier, in order for fire, for something to serve as fuel for fire, the thing has to, that particular fuel has to be consumed by the fire. It says about God, not only that God is a fire, He says He's a consuming fire. In order for fire to hold down something, fire is not a friendly um, a thing. It, if, if it's going to be, it has to, it eats away at whatever it's, whatever, whatever, it, it's, it, it consumes it. So now, therefore, for God to, be, to dwell within the world, there is something that has to become absorbed in Him. The creation has to surrender itself. Now the creation can't surrender itself. It doesn't want to surrender itself. Because surrendering oneself to God means to, obliter to obliterate your own existence, not to be. And we know the, 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 the very, very, very uh, law and the rule of every creation, every existence, that it wants to preserve its existence. It wants to be. So it doesn't want to lose its existence. So the world and the creation at large doesn't have that ability to surrender itself. For that you need the Jew. Because the Jew has, the only one who has this desire, this unexplicable desire, we were studying it in Tanya the other night, the unexplicable desire to dissolve and not to be, to become part of God. So that's why we say like this, Baruch Hashem, to draw from you God Hashem, 
In order Melech Olam, in order for God to be a king over the world, there has to be a middle. What's that middle? Elokeinu. You are our God. Our God means to the. What does it mean? Our God. Here we and God are in the same word. Our God. To the point where we are just vehicles for Him, expressions of Him, because we give up all of our identity, all of our otherness of existence, our entire being, to allow ourselves to be completely dedicated, devoted, to the point that there is no ego left for ourselves. We become channels for God's light. And that is a much higher surrender than Melech Olam. See, the world, even the Gentiles and the rest of the creation, and the angels and whoever, can also surrender to God. But they can only surrender to the point where they will remain something of their own. God is the king, they're subjects. When a king rules over subjects, his subjects can't become vehicles for the king, extensions of the king, because then it's not a king anymore. A king cannot rule over himself. In order for him to be, what does it mean a king? A king means he rules over others that are not him. So there has to be, they have to retain. His subjects have to retain a beingness so that they can have a certain conflict. The king tells them to do something. I have my will, the king has, and now I surrender and I give up for me and I do his will. But there has to retain some sort of beingness because if they melt into him, then he isn't the king anymore. The king, the very notion of kingship means ruling over others that's why that's God's relationship with the rest of the world Melech Olam he's king over the world to the Jew there is a there is, but, but here's the thing as we said earlier to keep God attached to the world there has to be a wick something that allows itself to completely to merge with him to cease to exist completely and that is only the Jewish soul that's why the Jew stands higher than Melech Olam Melech Olam is the entities of creation that remain outside of him, they only surrender to God as God being a king, but they keep, retain some, some identity, some beingness. Elokein knew you are our God before your Melech Olam, before the king of the world, because the Jew submits himself completely. That's why Jews are called children of God, not his subjects. Children. A child is considered the extension of his father. He's not a separate entity. He's still the father. He's the father. The Gemara says, the, 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 A child is the leg of the father. The creation is not the leg. And that's why it says, A king cannot be a king over his children. Because your children are really you. To be a king, you need subjects that are, that are not you. And that's the, that's the verse we're saying. Where do we accomplish this state of complete surrender to the point that we reach such utter inclusion in God? That's by prayer. That's the whole point of prayer. That's why prayer is stated in that manner. Baruch atah Hashem. We draw you down. Elokeinu, you become our God. And it's the same way like we say. You know, we say about, about Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, about Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the patriarchs. We say in prayer, we say, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why is God's name pronounced on them and no one else? And the reason is because they attained that level of constant... They, attained, they were chariots. They're called the divine chariots. What does that mean? They were so aware of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the all-inclusiveness of God's presence 
that they had no ego whatsoever. Their entire lives they served as channels for God's will. They didn't, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, the, the, the patriots never, you, never moved even one limb serving their own desire. Every movement of their limbs were only if this is what God wanted. There was no self-expression at all. That's why God was able to, that's why God's name was able to be called upon them. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Yitzchak. So we're continuing and we say, really, because we're the descendants of them, we can say, Elokeinu, He's our God. Because of that deep, inner, bitter nullification that we all have to God. But, and where do, we, where, where do we realize that? Where do we actualize it? Where do we bring that to the forefront during prayer? So that's what he's saying right over here. Let's read it inside. And this is the way we, they, they, they instituted Berch HaShachar. Baruch HaTashem, blessed are you God, Elokeinu, our God, Melech Olam, the King of the World. We are requesting We want the level of Avaya, God as He's higher than the world. To give light to the world. The worlds should not stop to being created. The law is and we don't want God to retreat back above. Keteva like the nature of fire to go up. So what do we want? We want that God should be elokeinu. He should be involved. But in order for Him to be involved, we said there has to be the wick has to surrender to the fire, or the, the fuel has to surrender. that He should be our God. We should be nullified to Him. We should be a vehicle for him. Until his name is called upon us. That he's our God. As it says, As it says, the God of Abraham. Abraham was a channel. Was a chariot. And that, a, and that the person should not remain an entity and a separate being other than God. Rak. Oh, so now, that's the way we want to be, the Jewish people. However, the world itself, the world at large, can't attain that. Therefore, it's, the next stage is Melech Ha'olam. God has sovereignty over the world. So with the, the, the rest of creation can't be a vehicle for God. It can only, it, it, at least it's not on the level of vehicle. It's on the level of subjects. Rak Melech Ha'olam, the king over the world, Pidish Mashu Mahavu Machaya This that God gives life and beingness to the world. Yes, the world is created to be a somebody, identifiable other than God. The nifra and something apart from Him. Because God chooses that His relationship to them should be in a manner of king, king to subject. That form of relationship of king for subject calls for separation. So they need to be separated. There ain't melech below am. There can't be a king without a nation. And, 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 and what does a nation mean? The word am, meloshen omamos. Omamos means separate. Dvarim zarim, alien things, venefradim. She'im yela adam harbebanim. Because if a person has many children, children are extensions of you. Ain't nikrishmai melech He can't be a king over them. He's not called a king. stated elsewhere. So that is with the rest of the creation. Mashank and Yisrael, which isn't the case with the Jewish people, Nikram Banim Lamakr. They're called children to God. Bra Karadavi. 
A child is the father's leg. Shaharegel betela itzalaroish. The foot is nullified to the head. Kamash kasem b'kamachas said elsewhere. The foot is not. If you look at your leg, your leg is not surrendered to your head. It's not like your head has has a certain vision, a certain desire, a certain want, and it communicates it to the leg, as if the leg. And then the leg sits there and decides. You know, do I want to listen to the head or not? And it makes its decision. You know what? It would be good. You know, I'm, it makes sense. I'm going to follow. So it has to have a conscious choice to decide to follow. It's instantly, it's automatically. Why? Because they're one entity. The head and the leg are together. They're, they're, they're considered one, one being as opposed to two things. So too, the Jew and God is one entity. Meaning, what does that mean? Of course, we, so you say, what do you mean? We don't have a struggle. We have a struggle. Sometimes we even disobey Him. We're talking about on our level of our neshama. Our soul is an extension. We also have an animal soul. And we also have a body that is extremely separated and, and, and has to struggle with because with, 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 uh, that's part of the creation but our neshama is on the level of oneness complete oneness with God willing to surrender itself completely to the point that there is no ego whatsoever so by davening is when we want to reach that level and mash as he said and that's how we understand also the meaning in order to bring Havaya God to become the what does Havaya mean? the word Havaya means past, present, and future in one. Which means that's the level of God as He is beyond time and space. In order to draw Him down into time and space, to become the king over the world, we need Elokeinu in the middle. Our God, meaning the thing that surrenders to Him completely, is what draws Him down. So the Jew is sort of, He straddles creation and, and beyond creation. The Jew is that, is that, is that. And that's, as we mentioned so many times, why a Jew is so confused always. Because we don't really know what we want, because we have this, this, this... On the one hand, we are, and there's something that wants to... On the other hand, there is that constant thing in us that we don't even know what it is, that, 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 that insane desire that, that... So some, by most Jews, they don't even know what it is. So it, it, it constantly creates a certain tension, a friction, an anxiety, or you can say a restlessness that every Jew has. That, 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 that he must change the world or whatever and then bring world peace or who knows what it's just it's naturally within the world because that is that's that, that that desire to surrender to something infinitely beyond but on the other hand there's a part of the Jew that's in the world see if we would be totally beyond totally spiritual so it would be a tranquil life if we would be totally earthly then we can also have peace in the, and, 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 and but the fact that there is this this these two elements within the person, the higher and the, and the lower, and this, this friction between the two, because that's the place, that's the place of fusion, of creator and the creation. The Jew is that, is the point where the creator and the creation meet. And all the life and the, sub, the sustaining of the worlds. And they're coming into being from nothing to something. Talu is all dependent. It's all dependent on this that, it drew, that the Jews draw down God's godly, godly light on us. It's dependent on that utter nullification. Why? Because the souls are considered the inner, the pnimius, the innerness of the world. All of creation is considered chitzonius, the external, and, and the Jew is considered the, the very nucleus of creation. And as now we understand what that means, because you need that wick. And then, see, once the fire holds on to the wick, it illuminates. It illuminates to everybody around it, even though they're not getting scorched. 
Even though they're not getting, they're enjoying the light, they're enjoying the warmth, they're enjoying the light. So too the rest of the creation enjoys God's bountiful blessings and everything. It's the Jew who has to burn himself up to God. Meaning surrender himself completely. We do it willingly because we feel that as a, not as a burden, but as a tremendous honor that we can become so deeply united and merge and become one with him. Elokeinu melech ha'olam. First Elokeinu, and then, once it's there, there's already a kingship over the rest of the world. And this is why the sages say is, tell us, the sages tell us, just like, it says a verse like this, um, like the four directions of the heavens. Um, I, forgot, um, I scattered you. I planted you, something like that. So the Gemara in Masechtas Tainus asks the question like this. Simply it means that God said, I scattered you in all the, in all the directions of the world. Then it should have said, Bar in, the four dire- in the four corners of the earth. I scattered you. Why does it say ke'arba, like the four sides I've, I've scattered you? So the Gemara says like this, God says to the Jewish people, or God says to the world, just like it's impossible for the world to be beloy ruchais without, without ruchais. Now, Rashi interprets it to mean, just like the world cannot exist without the winds, ruach comes from the winds, because it would, be, it would burn up, the heat would be too strong. So there needs to be, what's it called again, there needs to be winds, and they keep on cooling the earth, or whatever it is. So too the world cannot be without the Jewish people. The world cannot be without wind. However, others interpret it, or even Rashi seems also to imply that the word ruach also means directions. So just like there can't be a world without the wind, and there can't be a world without the directions. Because the winds come from the four directions. What is the deep? So simply, the world cannot be. What does it mean? The world cannot be without the ruach, without the, without the, without the. Because here's the thing: there are six directions. There are six. Um, now that's what constitutes the world. Because what does the world mean? The world exists in space, and there is the four directions, which means the limitations, the context, the the parameters of creation are the north, south, east, west, up and down. That's what gives the whole framework for creation. So that's the, that's, that's the limitation, the finiteness of the creation. Without that, the world wouldn't be a world, because what would the world be? It would be infinite, that means it wouldn't be a world, it would just be God. So what makes the world a distinct entity is its ruchos. So we're saying, so here we understand what that is. It's not just saying, without the Jews, just, God should have said, just like there can't be a world without a heaven and an earth, there can't be a world without Jews. Why, why particularly the directions? The four directions. We need to understand it. Because, as we said before, the only reason why the world can't exist without the Jew, because the nature of the energy is to go back to the infinite. This that the nature comes, that, 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 that the light, the fire comes down and takes root and takes hold on something finite, which is really constitutes the four directions, is only because the Jewish people draw God's interest into the world. So from God to come from the Milam and Amakim, from beyond space, into space, you need that being, that being that is part of the creation that surrenders itself to the beyond the Jew. And that's the Jew. So that's the reason why we say, just like the world cannot be a world without the four directions, 
Without that, it wouldn't be world. It would just be infinite, and it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a a, 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 a world. So too, the the world can be because that very directions, the four six directions, or the six the six limit lim, limitations or boundaries of the creation, are here only as a result of the Jewish people being within the world and surrendering themselves to God. It's an integral part of the creation. This is what, this is what's a For who can marshal, and this is for example, just like the life of the body. That dependent on the, 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 the vivifying soul. If there is some defect in the in the in the in the vitalizing soul, gam called gufa Then even the whole body becomes ill and becomes becomes really right. What he's saying over here is, we're saying the Jews are the nerve center of creation. They're the inner. So if you take a human body, for example, so you have the body and you have the soul. We understand that if you have an ailment in the body, if something is wrong in the body, something wrong in the body. I mean, but we understand more so where is the defect. If there's a defect in the soul, it's much worse than if there's a defect in the body. Because the soul constitutes the inner vitality. The body is just the external shell. Generally, when a person is ill, the defect is in the body. But if there's... We know, put it this way. If a person gets psychological scarred, psychological... uh, some upheaval, there's some distortion within the inner psyche of the person, that not only does that cause a, a psychological imbalance, that causes physical imbalance. Because the whole body becomes, and we know that really ultimately every ailment in the body is that has to do with many, or not every, but it has to do many times with a with a certain something that's incorrect in the spiritual psychological uh, uh, structure of the human being. So he's saying the same. The Jews constitute the soul of the world. So that's why I think if there's an illness amongst the Jewish people, meaning if the Jews are not the way they should be, that causes that affects the entire universe. It affects the whole world. Because the Jews are considered the pnimius, they're the soul of the creation, the inner part of the world. And that's why we say, Blessed are you, God, our God, the King of the world. For God to be drawn down, in order for Him to be named Avaya. In order for God. Now, here's, an, here's another, another, another nuance. There's so many nuances here. When we say, Baruch Atta Hashem. Earlier I was, we were talking the whole time that Avaya represents God as He is above. That's not the level we were drawing down. From Elokeinu is where we start drawing down. But here the altar is taking a step further. Even that God should be called Yudkei Vavkei, His primary name, even that is already descent because Yudkei Vavkei represents on the fact that it's called Havaya. Havaya comes from the word beingness. So Yudkei Vavkei means the fact that God gives life to all being. He's already called Havaya as a result of him tri- already stepping, stepping into the realm of to create, to bring into existence. So we want Baruch Atta. We want it to be drawn from Atta from you, God, to become Havaya, for you to step down to give life to all of existence. How are you going to give life to all of existence? Al First, you're going to be our God. And as a result of that, God becomes the king of the world. Now the question is like this. Why do we have to say it every morning? 
We, we, we wake up in the beginning of the day, right away we have a whole list of barakata, barakata, barakata. Now, next time we say the morning blessings, we're usually rushing and trying, you know, we're trying to get our coffee. You quickly say the blessings so you can have your coffee. Or whatever it is. If you realize that those blessings are what's channeling the life force into creation, to all of, all of existence is being vitalized in your little blessing that you're putting, you're saying from your seder, the Jew is saying, because at that moment is when you're, is when you're connecting. You're, you're plugging the whole, the whole world into its source. And you're causing that channel of light. That's the meaning of the blessing. But why do we say it every morning? Because every morning, now really creation has to continue constantly. But particularly it's every day is a new creation. Because every day we find the emergence of darkness to light. It's black and then it turns light. So he says that's analogous of all of existence coming in from, not, from utter nothingness into something. So in the morning when we appreciate a fresh new creation, it's almost like now when you watch the crack of dawn and you see that emergence from the, from the immense darkness comes light. That's supposed to be symbolic of the idea of all of existence being coming in, continuously being renewed from that darkness, from the, pre, from the pre-create into somethingness. So at that moment, what do you say? Baruch Hashem. Blessed are you God. Keep that flow of life to keep the creation in, in motion, to keep it in existence. And therefore he says, uh, that's a shachar every morning, because God renews every day constantly my separation is the work of creation and God brings see the immense responsibility in the morning you wake up in the morning you got the whole the cosmos are on your shoulders now you got to say your prayers because it's all reliant on you God gives them lightly to something from nothing from absolute nothing but we don't have anything do we have anything in the world that can use as a symbol for nothingness? But we always create something from something. But to have a symbol of something emerging from absolute nothingness. We don't have anything but the Gemasai Lamata. Klaw. There is no example that we can use to indicate. Laharis Pachush. To be able to see in a very concrete way. We don't have any example. It's Rak Efes Kotseyu. Some tiny bit we can see. Every day, the world emerges from absolute darkness, and there is this new light. And like the sages say, like the creation of the world was also. First, it was dark, and then it was light. The reason why God made it that way, that every, time, every single day there is a night and a day, is because just like in the beginning of creation there was darkness, and then came light, so God. Is, is re- recreating from that, from that state of darkness and then we emerge into the light. And that's like something from nothingness. And therefore, now, this renewal takes place every day. But in a greater way, it happens also every year on Rosh Hashanah, there's a greater, there, it's a greater renewal. Because as we know in, 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 from, from, from uh, in the Kabbalistic writings, that on on, on Every Rosh Hashanah, the life force of a creation retreats, returns back to God. And, 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 and then, see, every day, we just continue God's presence to recreate the world. On Rosh Hashanah, God actually inhales, and the entire life force of creation returns back to Him. And the world really is living lifeless. There's no energy in the creation. How does it exist? 
It exists from only a minute, 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 tiny little bit of life that God still allows it to contain so that it continues to exist. But God isn't really there. And Rosh Hashanah, through the blowing of the shofar, we get, we re-evoke in God, it emerges, the world emerges like from a birth canal. That's the shofar. It's like the world is recreated. Everything goes back to the beginning. That, so Rosh Hashanah by night is the real might. It's the real darkness. Rosh Hashanah morning is the day, the day that comes after. That's the birthday of the world. So the, every year the world has to be, be reborn again. And that's why every Rosh Hashanah we say, This is the day of the beginning of your work. It's a remembrance to the day. Because in Rosh Hashanah the world is created. And continuously every year, everything goes back to its original state. And then, so that's, okay, this is all parent, or parenthetically speaking. Because, because what we were just discussing all this was all about trying to explain what the point of, of, of meditation by prayer is. Davening, we said earlier, is the part of connecting God to the first initial stage of creating the something from nothing. How do we do that? How do we bring God into the whole arena of creation? How do we get Him to enter even into, to create even the first initial stage of somethingness? You need, you need some of the creation to nullify itself to God, to become completely absorbed in Him. That's what we do during prayer. Prayer is when we complete, completely abnegate ourselves and allow ourselves to become completely absorbed and subsumed in His life. And that's the point we said earlier. And that's bringing about Baruch HaTashem Elokeinu Melechot. But now we have to take it a step further. Because if God would leave the world at that state of creation, it would be still too undefined. Too, it wouldn't be a physical creation. Yet. Now we have to bring it to the next stage of Yitzartif. Fashion it with words. It's, the creation should become more identifiable. So that's the next stage. The Jew finishes his prayers. What's the next thing we do? We study Torah. Torah is we entering into the world of speech. Now we're speaking holy words. Corresponding to that, God speaks the world as opposed to just thinking it. And that's the initial stage, he's thinking it. Then it has to be turned into a world of speech. That's the next stage of Yitzartiv. So now, Yitzartiv is a is level of speech. You, you, you make a form to the letters of thought. Because what is speech? Speech isn't really, speech isn't nothing new. Speech is only taking those very thoughts and, 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 the, and coarsening them up, thickening them up that others can hear it. Speech is no more something from nothing like the letters of thought. Because those very same letters were already contained in the thought. They're only a, a thicker form. They're a form of revelation to the very letters of thought. It's like giving substance, a thicker substance to this more um, um, unformed letters. For who Torah? And that is corresponding to the study of Torah. Because the main mitzvah of Torah study is to utter the words. As we know, if we look at the very source of the mitzvah of Torah study, what does the verse say? You should relate it to your children. You should speak in them. We would think Torah is more of an intellectual exercise. It doesn't say you should think it. It says you should speak it. It says also, You should study it day and night. The time alone, and we also 
the halacha is the hearer laughs to dibudam. That thinking is not doesn't constitute is not like speech. You have to say it. The ein yotzei the chavasei behir levat. And one does not fulfill their obligation. Every day you have an obligation to study Torah. You did not fulfill it if you only thought. So if you open up a, 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 a book of Torah, anything, and you just skim through it with your mind, it's not considered really learning. You have to say it with your mouth. Or even some opinions that hold that when you wake up in the morning, we know we're not supposed to study Torah until we say the blessing. So the question is, are you allowed to think Torah? You're not allowed to speak. So according to some opinions, you're allowed to think Torah. Because that's not called it. The mitzvah. No, some opinions hold you are allowed to. Thinking is permitted. Only saying, speaking Torah, you're not allowed. Because the mitzvah is to speak. Vagam. Vagam. Now, but he's asking a question. The question he's asking is, isn't Torah much higher than prayer? Prayer is our words. Prayer is us reaching out to God. Torah is God's words. So Torah is higher than prayer. Here we're saying that Torah is on a lower level. Prayer is the first initial stage. It's a thought. Thought is superior to, to, to speech. So if, if prayer is higher in thought, how can, how can Torah be only in speech? So he explains, of course, the root of Torah is much higher. But everything that's high comes down lower. That's the way it is. The higher something is, in order for, for it to find expression, it needs to find something, 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 um, it says like this. Uh, if you have a deep idea, an abstract idea, and you want to teach that idea, you want to communicate an idea, if it's not so deep, you can give it as it is. You can transmit it, you can take it, the concept, and give it over. If it's a very, very abstract, very, very deep, profound idea, the only way you can transmit it is if you find an example you find a metaphor. And the metaphor has to be from something that is, that is more concrete, more tangible. To find something very tangible. And the, and, the, and, the, and the loftier, the more abstract something is, the only way it can be transmitted is through a thicker vessel. So the same as also Torah, due to its sublime holiness, doesn't, cannot, the holiness of Torah cannot take hold in our world only in letters of speech. That's a very interesting thing an amazing thing you put into this context a person is, is opening up the book of Mishnah or the Chumash and you're thinking the verses you know exactly what it says you know the Rashi you know the, all, the, all, the, all the commentaries and everything it's wonderful God's infinite wisdom is not really contained in those thoughts it's your thoughts it's the thoughts of whoever it's human thoughts the moment you start speaking those words, those words are energized with an infinite light. Suddenly they spring to life. Why? Because it's only in speech that you're able to trap. Because it's coarser, because it's thicker, because it's heavier, it's able to connect. It's able to grasp hold of this very, 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 very abstract, detached thing. As I said earlier, to grasp the deepest thoughts, you need to find... Sometimes it says a teacher cannot even communicate through speech the deepest things. They can, certain gestures of a hand, certain motions can convey what the, what the words can convey. Precisely because it's chunkier and thicker, it, 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 it can grasp the, 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 the finest. So what, that's just the way it is. Why the high can only be transmitted in the low. So prayer, because the energy of prayer as lofty, as high as it is, is not so high, so you can connect to that holiness in thought. But the holiness of Torah needs you to verbalize it, articulate it in words, spoken words, to be able to connect to that holiness. As he's saying over here, 
And even though the level, the 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 the, the quality of Torah, is way above the quality of prayer, as all the sages tell us, the Talmud Torah the study of Torah is is uh, greater than all the other mitzvahs, equivalent to all the mitzvahs. but on the contrary, because its quality and its source is in the most exalted place. And the supernal will blessed is he. Which is called hidden from all, concealed from all concealments. It's so concealed that one cannot receive its light in a revealed way until it descends and then encloses itself in the physical element of the world. The voice is the voice of Jacob. In the breath of their mouth. And, and it, it needs the quality of physical breath for it to hold on. In there, the light of God encloses itself. The light of God that is concealed in the Torah is only, it only takes root, it only takes hold where there is that physical breath. And it illuminates in a revealed way. To enliven all worlds, the upper and the lower. As it is known to those who know the hidden, the hidden, the, the hidden wisdom, which is the hidden of the teach, the the the, 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 the esoteric aspect of the Torah. That the higher something is, can't find expression only in the lower. The seif in action. We know seif ma'isa b'machshav atchila. The final act is connected to the, to the, to the original thought. That's the second stage. Bringing God from the realm of Bria to the realm of Yitzira. Causing the fire to take on to a lower form of creation. And now, to take it even further, you need to... F- but to bring Hashem down into the very physical world, the next stage, for that we have to have physical mitzvahs. That, that advances the process of creation to the next stage. God says, also I made it. The verse, going back to that initial verse. For my honor, I created it, I formed it, I also made it. Because now it and here there's a word also made it. Because we're taking the leap. From thought to speech, they follow one after the other. But from speech to action, already you're entering into a whole new domain, a domain, a domain that is separated. And this is called already the act of charity. And that, that's for obvious reasons. We understand. We don't need an explanation. Why action is associated to tzedakah. Or any other mitzvah. It's a physical act. In these three ways. Through these three. These are the three mediums through which we draw down the light of God. For the light to grasp. To be held on to. Oh, so now he says... Yeah, such, there's such gems in this mimer it's just unbelievable so now the Alter Rebbe says no, no. if you look we said earlier that there's three levels of grasping that light in, 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 in this you need, you need, you need proper, proper uh, thing to hold on to the fire but there's a difference there's a difference of a wick that's burning a single flame burning from oil or logs that are burning in, if you have a flame, a little, a, little, a little fire, a little candle burning, you have a very small fire. 
for a very luminous, very bright flame. When you have logs burning, you have a, a more a, a, a bigger fire. You have a, a uh, more expansive flame, or a, what do you call it? A, but 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 it's not so bright. It's a, a sort of like it's lesser to the lesser quality of light. It's not that brilliant light like a single flame emits. Explain that's the difference between prayer actor. In the act of a mitzvah, it's like chunky logs. This is like creating timber wood because you're doing physical acts at all. In a sense, it brings God's presence in a more revealed way in our physical plane. There's more fire. There's more godly activity. It's more apparent within the creation. It's more detectable within the creation. When a person is meditating in prayer, it doesn't influence the world so much. The divine light doesn't illuminate but that which illuminates is a very fine, sublime, very, very bright light. So let's put it this way. When a person is meditating in prayer and connecting to God in prayer, the physical world won't change so much. On, on, on the more external realms of existence, we change the world by acts of charity, by acts of goodness, by acts of kindness. For two reasons. First of all, the world of action changes. You take another human being who's in pain and you, and you alleviate that pain. So you're changing something in our physical planet and instead of just in some mystical plane. So you're making a, a, a strong... Besides that, the divine life, since it's brought down in action, it impacts more the more external realms of existence and action. But the, line, the light is of a lesser quality. The divine light that is brought down into the world by someone meditating is experienced in the higher worlds now you don't really realize what, what a person doesn't realize what he's accomplishing but 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 souls in Ganadin have such bright illumination because the Jew down here on earth is illuminating during prayer he brings down that more subtle light the, 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 the little flame but a very bright light and those spiritual sensitive people can can tap into such divinity as a result of one person meditating in prayer. The, 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 I was reading a, it's this week, it's very nice, you should take a look at it, in the Chabad Online magazine this week. So they have a letter, a little quote of the, the previous Rebbe was walking with his fathers on the beaches of Menton. Where's Menton? Anybody know? In Italy, France, somewhere over there. It's supposed to be an incredible, beautiful uh, um, area. So he walked with his father on the beaches for days they would take walks strolling and in the midst of the scenery he writes over there that my father was just in such an elated state in an elated mood an elated day, that anybody who passed by saw that this is a godly person you can see that he was he was beaming and knowing all this time he says despite the incredible scenery that was there he was talking about the virtue and the greatness of thinking Hasidic thoughts after you dawn your talus in the morning prayers, what that accomplishes and how that illuminates all worlds and it brings down such a divine illumination just because for a few minutes after you put your talus, before you start praying, you take a couple of moments to meditate on who you're going to pray to and on the thoughts that you studied and on these thoughts that we learned over here to take it and internalize it during that time. Because that's the point. Thought creates that that very luminous fire like the flame of a thing. Now both of them are needed. 
You can't say one is greater than the other. You need prayer and you need mitzvahs. Because you need light that impacts. Sometimes you need a fireplace. And when you need a, when you need a worm, a whole room, you're not going to light candles. Because people are cold. And they need a big fire. And you need logs of wood. But when you want to read something and you want something more of a more elegant flame, you're going to light a candle, not a big fire. It, it depends what it's needed for. Both of them are important. Let's read it over here. Just like we see that the light that takes hold on, 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 on wood, it creates a, an abundance of light. Very much. But it is thick, it's, it's coarse, and thick. That which takes hold in a wick. Who are muet? It's a little bit of light. Avludak, but it's very, very fine. Kocha inyanis achsus oir Hashem b'machshava. So too is the light of God as it takes hold in thought. Who oir muet? It's a small little light. She'ein pula soy bizgalus kolkach. Its effect is not so perceptible. It's not so noticeable. Lahachios olamus. It's not. It's it's to give life to the world. It's not so expansive or no, perceptible in the world that you're, you're bringing in light into the world it's not as we can't compare it it's not in the same with the same abundance like the effect of a mitzvah and speech of Torah study because Torah study is also called action as the verse tells us that in our in our present day world it's our job to do mitzvahs because our job is to illuminate the world and our lower tires of existence are illuminated with abundant light only in the performance of mitzvahs. Because this is what man is all about to make God be perceptible down here in our physical planet. And the ultimate purpose of why a soul descended into this world. To draw down the light of God in a very revealed way. From its exalted place to the lowest aspects of the world. But the drawing of God's light down in thought, is very spiritual. Far more sublime and far more elegant and far more abstract than the spirituality that's drawn down through action. Skip the, the, the parentheses here. Hello. It's only that in action, the expansion of the light is much. And it's perceptible. He gives another example within the human being. Um, the activities that, are, that, are, that happen in the lower parts of the body, let's say the legs. So if you look at a human being, most of what is occurring within the person that is perceptible to a person are the outer organs. The person is walking, going, making, doing. That's, that's, that's where we see an abundance of activity, of, 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 of presence, of, of what's going on in a person's thoughts, in their mind. It's very subtle. It's not so perceptible to the outside. But on the other hand, 
It's the thought that is the, is the germ of everything. It's in the thought that everything really is taking place in the inner illumination of the human being. So even though on the outside, the other organ, and the brain is also much smaller than all the other organs. But it's of a more vital, it's of a far more vital energy, as opposed to that which is taking place on the outer world. Outer worlds are more, more perceptible, but less, less significant. So the light by prayer is of a more vital light. That which is on a more, is on a more external level. The effects of thought in the mind is not as much is not as much as the effect of the legs. Your legs move, they move the entire body. What? You move your legs, the whole body moves. Your brain is doing activity, the whole body is not moving. The person sits, even though the brain is working all the time, the body can sit still. So you don't see that much its effect. They bring the person from place to place. Nevertheless, the brain is the main. All the life of the person is dependent on the brain. However, he says both are needed because in order for the legs to move, you need the brain to, to the cause it. But in order for the brain to get somewhere, it needs the legs. So both of them are needed. So too, a Jew can't be satisfied just with prayer and he can't be satisfied just with mitzvahs. You need, or you, you need all three. All of them need the other one. Now, here is where the mimer gets excited. Now, to add explanation on this is, the verse says, To add and to explain this more, this idea that God is a consuming fire, we need to mention as follows. A point that we already touched upon before, but here the Rebbe is going to take it. Just like fire isn't grasped and not doesn't take hold of the wick or on wood to illuminate on the earth. Fire needs to be a consuming fire. It has to eat up that which you're, that which is being, that which is holding on to it. The wick or the wood, they have to voluntarily, willingly be, uh, allow themselves re- without resistance to be absorbed in the fire. If you have wet wood, if you have green wood, it's not good firewood because it's moist and wet and it resists. It fights. It puts up a fight. You're not going to get a, de- a good fire. You get dry wood. You get a fine. Oh, you get a, a, a wool or whatever it is. These things allow themselves without without. They don't put up much of a fight. So the Rebbe says the same is also. Torah and mitzvahs can only keep the divine presence in the world if they're done with humility and if they're done with surrender. If the person wants to surrender to God. Because in the truth, a person can do all the mitzvahs and, have it, and do them with self-centeredness. I'm doing them because I want to be all that I can be. I want to attain everything that I could attain. It can be filled with, with beingness. And then it doesn't do the trick. In order for it to keep the divine is the person has to w- desire and want and be willing to melt into God in the performance of Torah and mitzvahs. To willing to join Him. And that's why the Alter Rebbe says, Torah and mitzvahs can only be given to Jews. Because the Jew is that, has, is that flexible nature, as we mentioned earlier, that is willing to give himself up in God's light. 
that's what we yeah. Um, God's light will not find be, be fit well on a person that is not willing to surrender. It's there because ultimately every Jew has an neshama, every Jew has a soul. Deep, deep, deep inside, every Jew is willing to surrender himself completely to God. The outer, but then, just like wood, wood, wood in essence is a substance that would surrender to the fire. But if it's wet, then the moisture, the water of it, that doesn't let. So, if a Jew, for example, we all have a soul that that is, is considered oil, but then we also have a coarse outside. And the more, the more the part in the person that doesn't want, right? So that creates that the fire is not a calm fire. It doesn't sit well. So the more a person can bring himself to a point where he's willing to surrender himself to the fire, willing to give up for that, to that flame, the better the fire is, the smoother, the, 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 the more durable or whatever. So, ach, as he says, um, so, it's only if there's that nullification of the will. And one is willing to aspire his soul to God. God, as a result of that willingness, when we want to s- merge with Him, He merges with us. As it says in the Zohar, when, a, when there is a, one wind draws forth another wind. A spirit draws forth, the spirit of the person wanting that merging draws down that love. And that's why it's only, it's dependent on the Jewish people. As it says, the some be Israel. God established a testimony in Jacob and the Torah he placed in Israel. Why did he establish the testimony only in Jacob and, and, the, and, and, and the Jewish people? Because these two names, Jacob and Israel, are referring to two elements of the Jew, both of them referring to the willingness to submit themselves to God. Jacob is that form of submitting where the person breaks himself. In Tanya, the whole Tanya, the beginning of Tanya is based on two types of Jews. A Jew who is able to transform all of his natural desires to love God and to do what God wants. A Jew is able to literally metamorphosize all of his unholy feelings and desires and turn them into love for God. That's a tzaddik. And then there's a different kind of a Jew who doesn't have that it can't do that there will always remain in him a certain unholiness certain passion lusts and desires for other things but nevertheless he gives in God I really don't want to do what you want me to do I'm really at odds with you I really don't like what you're asking me to do but I'm going to do it anyways because well, I have a choice I'm going to fight with you so you do it or 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 the person wants to do something God doesn't like, so in the end you give in. Okay, God, you win. That's called the scafia. So the struggling Jew is called Jacob. Jacob comes from the word of a of a it's apkus, fighting, struggling. But once Yaakov prevailed over the angel, then God says, Now you're not gonna be called Jacob anymore, you're called Yisrael, because you've ministered, you're above, Sarisa, you've won. So once the Jew accomplishes a level where he's already transformed, there's no more struggle. So in either one of these cases, we're dealing with the willingness to give oneself up. Either 
giving yourself up to the point that you have no other desires but the will of God. That's the higher, let's call it Israel. Or, at least, even if I have a desire, I let God have His way. And that's, but only the Jew has that in him. So that's why it says in the verse, God can only give the Torah and Mitzvahs to the Jewish people because the Torah and Mitzvahs is the wick and, the, and they can only be in with the wick and, and oil that can only be performed in that, in that, in that, in that atmosphere or in that, in, that, in that substance that is willing to, to allow itself to be consumed by the fire. Ki Yaakov Yisrael Breaking, the Sabbath transformation. This is what dependent. This is what caused down God's light to the Torah and Mitzvahs through Torah and Mitzvahs. Ma'ashein came below Bittel Ratzin. If there isn't that nullification of the will, Ein Yecholus LaHamshich, one cannot draw down the lights. Now the Alter Rebbe says, So what is the ultimate? What should be one's ultimate intention before they study Torah? Before they do a mitzvah, before they pray, what, what is the attitude? The attitude in all these things are not because I want to go to heaven, not because I want to have olam haba, not because I want to get for myself a big portion in the world to come. The attitude in all these things are I want to attach myself to God and I want to surrender my independent existence and to become merged with Him. That's the attitude. That's one's desire. It's the collection of desire. Now, the question, however, the Alter Rebbe says is, we understand, if we would pray, and if we would do mitzvahs, and if we would do all these things in a manner where we can see the spirituality of all these things, if we can see God's light in the mitzvahs, if we can see and feel the divinity in Torah, so then you would have a choice. I can either retain my own private existence, or I can study Torah and give up my own thoughts and melt into the infinite wisdom of God to do His infinite will. But the Rebbe says Torah and mitzvahs the way it's given to us and is a very physical form. When we're studying Torah, the revealed part of the Torah, we're occupying ourselves with stuff. We're talking about very, very much worldly matters. We're talking about Two people grabbing onto a, to a, to a, to a garment and they're fighting. This guy says it's mine. This guy says it's mine. What's godly about that? One guy lying. There's an argument. Two people, you know, one guy's a liar. Or whatever it is. Where's the godliness? Where's the holiness in all this? Mitzvahs. Most of them are so physical. So, it seems like here we're talking about the Jew willing to submit himself to completely surrender his identity and his being to God. And that's what Torah Mitzvah accomplishes, that connection. He says, but we don't see that. The Rebbe says, that's why, here's one of the most awesome things in Lakuti Torah. There's a verse where God says, listen to this, there's a verse there where God says, I think this is in Hosea, where it says, God says, I am like a fresh cypress tree. God says, Amar Hashem, God says, I am like a fresh like a, 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 a fresh cypress tree. What does it mean, I am like a fresh cypress tree? God has these interesting ways. <laughs> I am a this and a, And now I'm a fresh... Here I'm a fire, consuming fire. And now he's a fresh cypress tree. What is, what is the meaning? So the elders... Are there, a, a tree, a cypress tree is a thin tree. It grows very, very, very tall. 
When it's fresh, it's pliable. Once it gets dried out, it becomes very stiff. But when it's fresh, it, it can bend. To the point, you can take the tree, which is very tall, very high, you can take its very tip, you can bend it down. And you bend it all the way, all the way down. When it's all the way down, you can take your hat, or whatever it is, you can put it on the tip. And you can leave go, and then it, 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 it serves as a, what is it, it's cap, what is it, a catapult. A catapult that flings the thing all the way, all the way up to the highest, highest heights. Even though, you know, you could have never gotten to the, you know, to the, the hat, you couldn't, you couldn't throw that hat up as high at the top of it. But if in some way you can get the tree and bend it down, and then you can take it and put it on the top, and you can go for a ride to the highest heights. So God says, I am like that first cypress tree. Which means I lowered myself down to a physical form where I let you latch on to me. The moment you latch on in the physical form, I leave go. And I take you up to the highest, highest spiritual life. You might not feel it. So you're doing the mitzvah in its most physical form. This is only a manner for you to jump on, but then it, it, it catapults the person to the peak of spiritual heights, to the infinite light of God to be submerged with Him. That's what he says over here. And even though God, the mitzvahs, enclosed themselves in physical things. And when we study Torah, we're studying it in, in a human form. Seichel anushi, human intellect. And this God says, I am like that, that, that fresh pittish broish, who eres dak. Broish is a very thin um, 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 a tree. That you're able to take its, its top and bend it down all the way all the way to its roots. And afterwards, when you leave go of it and it returns to where it was, it raises the thing that's put on it. When it was placed on it, when it was all bent, it picks it up to its highest place. As it says Yoav did something like this. I couldn't find what he's referring to, where this was once done, of, of, of some, some type of thing that Yoav, the general of David, did, I guess by some war or something. God says, I says, I am. I, I, the very me, have enclosed myself in these physical actions. Like a fresh tree God bent himself down all the way all the way he, he humbled himself to the lowest lowest form of expression but it's the very 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 infinite God as he is above compressed himself into these little things that we can connect ourselves to through this the soul of man is raised up to the highest, highest, highest places, layer ba'orin seif baruch, to to illuminate or to be uh, to be, to become a, to become absorbed in the infinite one. This is a bar. This is a, a, a verse that uh, the 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 shinamis, not the shinamis, the um, what was her name? The woman who spoke to David Amelech, Avi, Avi, Avisha. What was her name? Anyway, you want she says to David HaMelech, she says, your soul is going to be bound up in the bound of life. So this is what happens. When a Jew does a mitzvah, this enables his soul to be bound up in the, in the bound of life, to be included in, 
to become one with God. However, here is where the Alter Rebbe, after taking us up to the highest heights, sobers us up a minute and takes us now down to another reality. Okay, everybody ready for a real zetz? Here comes the bang. One opposite the other. Just like there is this sapling tree, which you can hook yourself onto something, and it can that word again, either way. Catapult the soul to the highest of the high. The same is also the opposite. There are certain things that can fling the soul in the other direction. One opposite the other, God created. God is compared to a consuming fire. But there's another fire called an alien fire, a strange fire. And God said, that fire, keep away from that fire. And that is all worldly passion. And all unholy fires that, that drive a person into all kinds of other activity that are not exactly consistent with the divine will. And this is what he's saying, really it's true. There's really extremely dark energy uh, or negative energy. Which also, just like that, very powerful, infinite fire, godly fire, takes root in physical things, in physical activity. In physical activity. And even though it's only physical activity, as we said, in its root, it's really infinite. And it picks up the person to heights unimaginable. So he says over here, the negative fire also finds expression also encloses itself in machshava dibra mais in thought, speech, and action, because there can be negative thoughts, there can be negative speech, just a tiny little bit of gossip, just a little immoral thought, but just a little action. Ashaloy lashem that are not that are not for God's sake. It's not it's not in performance, particularly if they're sinful. So these thought, speech, and action, so they're the direct opposite of thought, speech, and action of holiness. Thought, speech, and action of holiness are called kavod. This thought, speech, and action is called cologne shame. Cologne, not coloning, but maybe that's it's an imitation. Just like there is kavod, the opposite of kavod, which is honor, there is shame. Heim b'chinas kolon le'imas kavod. This is the uh, this is the element of shame, which which is opposite to to kavod to honor. Kamoshikostev, as it says, kavod chachamim yincholu. The honor of the wise men, he will in, he will inherit them. Uksilim meirim kolin. Fools raise shame. Raise their shamefulness. Ukeshem sha'ala toiva. And just like from good. Tis'allen nafshoi biyasr se'es. One soul can, be, can rise to the highest, highest peaks of holiness and of godliness. Much more mikasha tuchala nefesh se'es. By doing a holy act or by speaking the words of myth of Torah, or by thinking the word of prayer, one can raise their soul much higher than they would be able to on their own without these divine assistance, without these godly little things. Without these, meaning, for example, the soul w- wouldn't have the vehicle of Torah and mitzvahs, and we would try to climb ourselves. We can reach certain levels, but we would never be able to reach the tip of that tree, that very extremely high place, 
unless God lowered himself down to be able to take us on his shoulders. He bent down and then he ride, picks himself up. We can climb on him and he can pick us up to the highest places. So just like it is in the positive, much more than what the soul can reach on its own. Lefias agas according to its grasp. Meaning, you, you, you can do something that, that, it, that, that raises the person up to heights unimaginable and unfathomable. To be bound up with the bond of life, literally in God. So, it's on the other side, on the evil it says, that very same verse, that she's speaking to, to David HaMelech, this, uh, she, she says to David HaMelech, the soul of my master will be bound up in the, in, in the bond of life, and the soul of your enemies will be flung or hurtled as out of the hollow of a sling, like a, like a, of a sling, of a slingshot, of a sling, um, the hollow of a sling, when you have a sling, you shoot the stone, and it shoots the stone, it flings, and it hurls the stone to an extremely, extremely great distance. So too, sometimes, just a little tiny bit of negativity, just a little, which, here's the thing, even though, someone might think, you know what? What's the big deal? It's just a little, just a little, just one sentence. It's just a little negative thought, big deal. Thing like this. These things, in their spiritual root, is vast unholiness. It's vast darkness. It's extremely power, great, and it's, it only finds expression in tiny tidbits. Little, little acts, but they have, the, the, the defilement is incredible, God forbid. And when one allows himself, so this is like being flung, and every sinful act, a person latches onto something sinful, and then that flings the soul into the darkest, darkest pit. Deep, 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 low down below. And that's what he's saying. It, it, as it says, Nemaves, Nefesh the soul of your enemy, Yakla'enu will be flung, the Toykafakela, as out of the hollow of a sling. It is flung to a very, very distant place, to a very, very great distance, very far from the, from the light of this continence of Hashem's light. As it says, I will hide my face. Meaning one can, God forbid, cause a soul to go into this, to places where God is completely and utterly concealed and hidden. God says, I will hide my face on all the bad that will come upon me. So look over there. So now, God forbid, when a person reaches and realizes how many thoughts, how many words, how many activities have we done in our lives that, are, that, are, that, are, that are constitute this this hollow of the sling, where God forbid this person's soul gets flung into the deepest, the lowliest, into the farthest places, instead of being raised up. At that moment, you could have done a mitzvah. At that moment, you could have took your energy and climbed onto the bent-down, fresh cypress tree that's waiting for you to jump onto it. And instead of that, you wasted your time with Narishkeit. And God knows, God knows where one has dragged his soul down. So now, by Eitzah, so the advisable advice the Alter Rebbe says is who have is to do tshuva. Befrat baseres you made tshuva, and particularly in the ten days of tshuva. That is the appropriate time and the time when God is accessible to do tshuva. Shiva melmakaira to restore the soul to its original place. Vazai and then 
And how does one accomplish tshuva? The Alter Rebbe says, Yishtapech nafshoi b'meririrus al-rechukeme or p'nei Hashem. One has to pour out his soul with incredible bitterness on the distance that one has, has distanced himself from the light of God. The Yashav al-Avaya, and one has to return to God, the Yerachmeyu, and God is going to pity the soul. Meaning, when one evokes mercy on his own soul, when one feels the pity, literally, it, it's like arousing pity for yourself, for your own neshama, being realizing the heights from where the soul comes from, realizing the heights to where the soul can reach through the performance of Torah and Mitzvahs to become completely absorbed in God's life. And, the, and what one has done instead of it, and causes God forbid his neshama to be downgraded and to fall into the slowest place. So that itself causes an incredible outcry. An outcry that emanates from the deepest depths of the soul where one cries bitterly. As he says, as the verse says, by Yizaku el Hashem, there is the crying out to God, from the bitterness, from this deep place. The Ikara Tshuva, and the main point of Tshuva is, as it says, it's a soulful cry. And the main aspect of tshuva is, as we say in, in, in davening, in the custom of the Arizal, this is the, the opening verse of Tachanun every day. Or the, the uh, Hashem Nashi Esa. Not everybody says this piece for Tachanun, but in the, as we say, as it says, Hashem Nashi Esa. To you, God, I will raise my soul. What does that mean? Instead of being in this darkness, in this place of concealment, one wants to bring his soul back to that place of light. And to be reattached to God means I've allowed all these alien desires to drag me down into these places so far from you, God. So now, God, I want to bring myself back that I have no other desire but your desire. To be completely one with you again. Which means to nullify one's will to God. That one person should have only one singular desire. La'adiv shebeshamayim to his father in heaven. Bichuka with the yearning, the kloisa nefesh mamish, and with the literal expiring of the soul. Particularly, this is fueled. This deep desire is fueled much more than the person that has never that has never gone down into the pits. Precisely because of that lowering, precisely because that in distance, that creates this 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 deeper yearning because one can't stand the distance. One requests from God that the light of God should dwell on the person. That the person begs of God, please bring me back to that place that I can be completely nullified to your will. And this is what we've, the sages have implemented that we should say. We say to God, forgive us. How do they translate? Um, what? Pardon us. It doesn't mean that God is insulted, he says. And that, and that we, we're asking God to not to be, not to be upset, not to bear a grudge against us. He says, There's nothing that a human being can do down here below that in truth can really can really hurt him. And what is the forgiveness? The idea is that, that, that generally the Jew, as we said earlier, is in, a, is in a place where 
he's in, he's in the he's the apple of God's eye. He's the most tre- cherished, most desirable element. It's what God desires more than anything else to shine His light on that Jew's soul because the Jew is willing, has that inner willingness. And God experiences tremendous delight and pleasure in bestowing and channeling His life force through the Jew into the creation. But if God forbid the Jew has smeared himself up, uh, soiled himself up with all this chazerai and all this garbage, it's sort of like there is an odor being admitted that, that God just doesn't look there. Because it's full of, of undesirable things. All we're asking from God is God should make us desirable again. That He can we can we can serve again that be again in His favor and His good graces. That He should that, that the Jew should be again um, um, desirable and, 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 and to be able to facilitate the, the, the innermost of God's desire. That his, his desire should again be open to us. That his desire should return to dwell upon us. And that comes by the person opening him up his heart again to God. Not to have any other desires but the servant. To do God's will with a complete heart, and with a and with a and with a um, willful soul. And we say as part of part of this process of tshuva. What do we say in Aseres Yemei Tshuva? So there's one little phrase that is so meaningful during the ten days of repentance in the Shmona Esrei. We say Mikamocha, who is like you, God? Of Arachamim. Simply we read it. Who is like you, compassionate Father? Zocher Yitzurov. You remember your creations. Lechayim Berachamim. You remember your creations to life with compassion. Here the Alter Rebbe says, this is what's supposed to evoke the Jew to the ultimate feeling of pitifulness for his own soul on the awesome, unfathomable descent that has happened, the fall, the unfathomable fall that a soul has fallen. Because we say like this, we're saying, who is like you, compassionate Father? You remember your, your creations. Now when we say, what do we mean, well, God remembers it? This is his major project. He created it, how can he forget it? This is, his, this is his world, this is his creation. This is his mansion. He says, no. All of creation is one tiny little fleeting thought. It's something that he can... What, what, to remember... What do, you, what do you have to tell someone to remember? Something that it's very possible the person will forget. It's just one little, little, de- minute little detail. He might forget it. So all of creation, all of existence, the Alter Rebbe says, is one thought. One thought. A person who can think billions of thoughts. What is the value of one thought? All of the coming into being of all worlds. The upper and the lower. From the beginning until the end. For God, it's one thought, one remembrance. In one thought, all creations were already created in one initial. Later, God, God further articulated into ten utterances of speech. But initially, all creations exist already in one little thought. God gazes upon all the generations. And initially, he already sees everything that is going to involve, and all, 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 God reads the future generations from the beginning. 
Instantly, when, when, all, when all the worlds and all of creation entered God's mind, at that moment, instantly they were created. And at that moment, past, present, past, present and future was all there. Everything that is going to involve, it was all there in that seminal drop, and that original thought. They were all finished. Now, it's all one thought. And we all understand. We see literally, we see the tremendous contraction. The infinite one blessed to see contract himself to think this one little tiny thought. In one thought. And not only that, it's not a thought, as we said earlier, that is fitting for him. It's a lowly thought. It's like a person... An extremely great professor is thinking about some some nursery kind of a uh, you know uh, thing with little children. It, it, it's a very childish thing. So for him to think to contract himself on that one little thought. Now, why did God do it? Why did all the all of worlds is just that one thought? But why did He do it? It's all because because He's the Father of mercy. The Altadeb is now going to take it further. It's not, it's not he's the compassionate father. He's the father of compassion. What does he mean he's the father of compassion? Sometimes we refer to God as compassionate father. Of harachaman means compassionate father. Of harachamim means the father of compassion. What is the meaning? Pidish means like this. You might say, God created the world. What keeps him to create this one little fleeting thought, this one little nothing of a, of a nothing? Why does he create it? So we might think that the, 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 his, his, is because the worlds have some, he has compassion on them. They're really valueless. They're really in, inferior, insignificant. But he has compassion on them. But here's the thing. Compassion is already an attribute. It's an attribute. God, even to speak on a level that he has compassion, is already what? It's already... So first, here's the thing. How, he was trying to explain how removed is God from all of creation. First of all, he has to have tremendous pity on this nothingness to, to pay any attention to it. But even the level of pity is already what? A tremendous contraction for him. So what he says is like this. God is the father of mercy. Which means first he has to create a realm of compassion. First there has to, he has to lower himself down to create compassion. Once there is divine compassion. Once there is divine compassion, the divine compassion can, 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 can latch onto, can connect to this inferior creation that he has to create. So he's doubly removed from the creation. First of all, it's nothing. In order to create it, they have to have compassion on it. But first he has to create compassion, a mode of compassion with him. Two natural. So when one realizes how detached and removed, and one realizes much more than that, our soul comes from that level a father of compassion. The soul is not, is not part of the creation. The soul is not even part of the level of compassion for creation. Because that's already a level and attribute. The soul emanates from the father of compassion. From that very pristine height, height, height. 
From there the soul came into the world so that we can connect back to that place and draw that light into the world. Instead, one has decided to jump into this ugly sling and allow himself to be, God forbid, what is that word again? Catapult. Catapult. Down to the cellars and subcellars of the darkest nothingness of the, of the deepest dungeons of, 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 of or, or, or whatever. Whatever it is. In, into the filth, into the garbage, into the... So, one realizes that one gets very bitter. So that's the, that's the meaning. Mi kamoicha, who is like you? A level of avarachamim, a father of compassion, where from there you can create a thought where you remember the creations. Achayim barachim. So all of this evokes the mercy of realizing where we were and where God forbid one has descended. Piddish. All because God is a father to Piddish. He creates and brings about an attribute of compassion. To have compassion on the world to make them be. To give them existence. To keep them in existence. To continuously bear in mind that one little thought. And all this man has to contemplate to evoke great compassion on one's soul. How the soul fell low, low, low. Particularly when one roots, looks up to its roots. This week in Pirkei Avos we say I think it's this week, Perry Gimel. Da, look. We're going to read every. Da, me ayin basa. Look from where you come. The simple meaning is, it says, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll think about these three things, a person won't sin. Know where you come from. Where, and, 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 and what are your beginnings? Where are you going to? Where you're headed to? And in front of who you're going to give an accounting. So the Mishnah says, there's three things. If you think about these things, where do you come from? What is your ultimate destination? So, let, let's, it's amazing. Let's see how the difference, the way they revealed the Torah as one reads it without getting into the esoteric, into the Hasidic aspect of it. So if you learn the Mishnah as it is, every, in this Shabbos there's going to be many shiurim in all shuls. They're all going to learn the ethics of the fathers. And this is what the rabbi is going to say. And this is what everybody says. May I in Basa, where do you come from? The Mishnah says, Mitipas Rucha. From a, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a smelly um, um, drop. It's, a, it's, it's nothing. It's something that, that, that if, you don't, if it doesn't germinate right away, if it doesn't catch hold, it, it, it's nothing. That's the, the oranges of man are what? Just a, a seminal drop of nothing. Where are you going to? You're going back to be dust and worms. Very depressing thought. And then in the end, who are you going to give an accounting for? So what are you, why are you bragging? What do you think you are? That you're, that, that a person, that who are you, God forbid, who is the person to take himself so seriously to defy God's, his, the God's will? But the Alta Rebbe says, think of it differently. Da no me ayin basa. Where do you, ayin basa means from where can you, do you come? The deeper meaning, know that you come me ayin. You come from the supreme nothingness. You come from, you, you, you come from before the thought. The thought is already a something. More than that, even the compassion that, that evokes God to create that thought is also already something. Because we're already... The Jew comes from a ayin, from a place of arachamim. 
the father of compassion. You can't even speak of compassion over there. You can only say that God is the source of compassion. Over there, there is no compassion. There's no defi- definitions at all. That's why it's the ultimate ayin. So you come from that place. If you think about where you come from, how can, you, well, how, can, how can God forbid someone degrade himself into sin? Into something so not, so not, if you come from an ayin, from that place. What the ultimate destination is, as the altar explains elsewhere. But that's the point. So when one recognizes that source, may ayin basa from where you come, pidish mipchinas ayin. You come from the place of ayin. Shuhu pchinas avarachamim, which is the father, as we learned earlier, the one who blows, blows from his insides. That's the whole point. From his inner self. The imkein hayerid, the shayarid mo'er pan of yizbarach. So the descent that one has descended from his face, he gedoylam ha'oyit, is very great. Me'igri rama, from a great, it's from a high rooftop, the Gemara says the greatest fall is to fall from a high roof into a deep pit. It's one thing to fall down from any roof. It's another thing to fall from a very high roof. But it's good enough to fall on the ground. Not enough that he fall into the ground, he fell into a pit. Not only did he fall into a pit, he fell into a deep pit. That's a real shlomazel. He falls from a high roof and ends up in a deep pit. So the other says, if you look into your life, you realize you come from the... And instead, where do you go to? Into the sling, the hollow of the sling, to be... Flung, capitulated, dark into that into that place. This is what causes the soul to get very embittered. What does all this do? This a little meditation, especially when one does this in the ten days of tshuva, when the heart is fond, when the heart is soft, it's just automatically at that time. All this, it this all it it, bo- it boils, it boils, it boils, it boils, it boils until it until it suddenly explodes. And the, what does this explode in? This explodes into an atomic eruption of soul yearning, where the soul so deeply wants to get out of this mess, so deeply wants to go back to where it comes from, that's tshuva. And that suddenly flings the soul to heights even higher than the mitzvahs, even higher than that anikah v'rish ranu. This is the dynamite. This is what gets us. We're going to see in a minute. Where does that go to? But first there has to be the, the boiling, the bitterness, the bitterness, the bitterness to serve as that, as that tension. It has to create that tension. It touches the very, very innermost of the heart. Mamish, the, the, the deepest place of the human being. One soul will utterly expire and return to God. And when one experiences tshuva with this great love, what is this great love? This is beyond love, it's not even passion. It's beyond passion. It's such deep yearning for that place that it has absolutely indescribable. Then the very sins and the very faults become merits. Why do they become merits? Because if not for those sins, if not for that misery, for not, if not for that distance, one could never have come to this yearning. It's precisely because of the death, precisely because of that emptiness that one yearns for holiness with an ever-growing, with, with this intensity. And Piddish, which means like this, just like through the merits, one soul rises in the light of God, 
so too the soul rises through this incredible bitterness. Machmas asadainus. Just like mitzvahs, good deeds, pick you up to the highest places, ultimately the sins can also lead to that place. Because the sins lead to that void, to that emptiness, to that horror. And that, in the end, becomes so bitter that that causes the rebounding. So here's the thing. The reason why God created the ability to be flung is so that when you fling something very far and it hits rock bottom, as it bounces off, it rebounds with, with a force even greater than the original flinging. And that propels it backward, higher even from where it fell. So, that's why it says, in the place where the Baal Tshuva, where the penitent stands, much higher than the Tzaddik. The Tzaddik can't, because the Tzaddik's attachment to God is to Torah and Mitzvahs. The Balchuva evokes this desire. Now the Yantarebbe says, here is just awesome. That's why when God taught Moshe Rabbeinu how to do tshuva, when the Jews sinned with the ultimate sin of the golden calf, Moshe Rabbeinu evoked the 13 attributes of mercy. The 13 attributes of mercy is this level of avarachamim, of father of compassion. This ultimate level. Where over there, where over there nothing matters. And even the sins can become merits. It's on this deep level. What, where did God place Moshe? The verse is very busy. That God put him on a rock. He said, I'm going to put you in a rock. I'm going to put you in the cleft. In the crack of the rock. In the cleft of the rock. And then when my glory is going to pass over, you're going to see. You're going to see my glory. He says, Benikras Hatsur. I'm going to place you in the cleft of the rock. Why? What's the cleft of the rock? Why does he speak about that rock? What's the idea of that? So the Rebbe said, listen to this, by Moshe Rabbeinu it says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. The Jews need a tshuva then. God gave them the Torah and he gave them the mitzvahs. In other words, the fire mate, the divine fire that is going to animate and, 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 and what? and give life to all of existence, was extended. When the Torah was given, God finally found the wick. In the beginning, He just kept on doing it. Until the Torah was given, God gave it out of, out of His own benevolence. It was all kindness. No one had, once the Torah was given, finally there was a wick, there was, a, there, was, there was the wood, the firewood, to keep the divine presence. But they messed up 40 like Jews. 40 days later, they were ready in the hollow of the sling. Forty days later, they emptied. They, they they got themselves into a mess, like like like, in a, in a horrific sin, of the of the of the. They couldn't pick any other than the Ten Commandments. They picked the first one, to violate. The first thing God said to them is, "I am God, your God." That's the one they violate. So now they they they, they right away fell on the greatest fall. So now what happened? They extinguished the fire. The fire has been put out. What happens when a fire is put out? The divine presence, so what do you do? You need to ignite it again. How can you ignite it again? So you need to get to a flint stone. You need to get to the stone from where fire comes from. Tzur doesn't only mean rock. Tzur means a flint stone where you can spark a new fire. There is manifest fire which is extinguishable. 
There is that element of fire that is extinguishable. You can put it out. You take water, you can put out the fire. Then there is the potential for fire that is within a stone. That can never be extinguished. It can lay dormant. You can have a stone. You can be laying in water. A stone can sit submerged for hundreds of years in water. And it will never, and will never, and will never, and will never. And then you take it out and you bang on it. And there the fire emerges. And it comes out. You can create that spark to reignite the fire. So there's a level in God that is called Sur. The divine emanation is called the fire that God... Ex- divine name is the fire that God extended already. God's interest in the world is in Torah and mitzvahs. But then there's a place within God where is the source of that fire. And when the fire has been put out on the levels of manifest fire, which means our relationship with God on the level of Torah and mitzvahs has been tarnished or has been in somehow ruined, so then the Jew needs to get to the rock, needs to get to the very essence of God. How does the Jew get to the very essence of God? The Jew has his own flintstone. The Jew has the very essence of his soul. The very essence of his soul that is attached to God beyond any manifestations, beyond any descriptions. That's, that's not wholly because it does godly things. It's just because inherently it's attached to God with an absolute attachment. And even a Jew is not doing Jewish things for all his life. Even a Jew is separated with God with an or even a Jew who has been submerged in unholiness all of his life, still contains that potential flintstone within. And with that shuva, he bangs that, the rock within him, the tzur within his soul, that causes the friction on the tzur, on the, on the rock above, and it re-illuminates, and the fire comes, opens up again, and God re-establishes his covenant with the world. That's why when God did shuva with Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, he said I'm going to put you in the crack, of the tzur, because in that place you can evoke, because the eish, the eish oichlohu, the fire, the consuming fire has been put out, because there isn't any wick, and anything to hold it anymore. So now there's no choice but to get to the root, to the tzur, to the place where all emanations come from, to the very essence of God. The essence of the Jew has to, has to rub against the essence of God. That's tshuva. So tshuva connects much higher than mitzvahs connect. Mitzvahs already relate to divine manifestations. Tshuva reaches the very... And it comes just from the simple cry emanating from the depths of the soul that touches and connects and sparks on the level of tzur. That's what the alternative is. Let's read inside. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. When he wanted to <coughs> evoke... The thirteen attributes of mercy. Pidish, Mepchinis Surah Elyon from the supernal rock. Makar Vishoyish, Makar, it's the root. Vishoyish and the source. Kol Sharshe Yasavas. All the roots of, crea- of beingness. Kamashakasav, as it says, Habitu. How do you know that Sur represents the very origins of origins? Kamashakasav, as it says, Habitu El Sur Chatzavtem. Gaze, look into the tzur, the bedrock of your existence. It means the very, the nikra tzur. Now the altar, why is it called tzur? Kamoy l'mashal tzur achalamish, just like the flintstone. Shemakin by lahoitia eish. You have to bang on it, and the fire comes out. Shayisoy the eisha boy, the the element of fire that's in it, who bekoyachu behelam, is extremely concealed and in potential. Veloy bepoyel, it's not actualized. Kach keviyachal nikra tzur. God has called that that fire. Sur Chayenu. 
He's called the flintstone of our life. The, the, the fight, the, the, the stone, the stone of our life. He is the root of the roots of, of all beingness, of all emanations, of all life. And at this level, you can't say, oh God, that he is Havaya. Havaya means in a manifest state of, it, of, of emanating light. Emanating light to create. This is a level where the, where the, where, 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 where the light and the, and the divine life force is still in a potential, potential state. Completely concealed within him. It's potential, not actualized. And that's why this is a level that's beyond name. There's no name over there yet. This is the source of God's name. It's no, there's no name. It's the source. Now, the consuming fire is God already interacting and engaging the creation. Or at least beginning to engage the creation. This is still way, way, way prior to even thinking about the creation. The inner, innermost. This is the place where the, where the, where the fire comes from. This is the power of the, of, of, of the Baal Tshuva, of the repentant Jew. Now, they reach to the very, to the Tzur, to the rock itself. By example, If the fire, the light of the fire has been extinguished, we redraw again the fire from the rock itself. This is exactly the case in the Balchuva. The Balchuva, the person who has sinned, and therefore he has extinguished the ordinary relationship with God, which is idea of the fire, thought, speech, and action of holiness, which creates the regular blood. The Alter Rebbe says they burnt out their wick. The Balchuva doesn't have that wick anymore. The Eitzim, he doesn't have the logs. It's all, it's all been squandered. It's all become, the wick and the, and, the, and the logs have become the fire for the wrong fire. So there's nothing left. The only thing left is, 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 is the inner essence of his soul. That's aching. That's crying out. And so there's, nowhere, there's, no, there's no manifest fire. There's nowhere to hold on to. Because there's no godly activity. There's no holiness. Shehein heim taira maisem taira. That's the Torah and the good deeds. But what you're left with is that with that Jewish bitterness. Through this deep bitterness, from the very innermost of the heart. And the Alter Rebbe says, here's the thing, that bitterness, that space within the Jew is, transcends time and space. It's, 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 it's the part in you where the Jew is not even a creation. It's the inner, inner, innermost. Torah and mitzvahs are all performed in time and space. There is a time for this mitzvah. Because that's already, it's in the levels of, 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 of finiteness, in the levels of creation. It's the way we bound with God as God already extends himself into time and space. So we, it's the outer elements of the person. But this is beyond time. And therefore, from this space, from this inner, innermost of the Jew, the sacred, the holy of holies in the Jew's heart, over there the person doesn't want to have anything to do with time and space. Over here the person wants to just break free from, from, from and this is really what has been driving Jews, even Jews that are so far, right, and in the, whether in the 60s or whatever, all this, all these, all these, it's really coming from that, from that fire, undefinable fire. 
It doesn't want time and space. It doesn't want anything. It doesn't want civil, civilized existence. It just wants that, that something. It doesn't know what it wants, but it wants that something. It's, dis- it's disgusted with the life of his, with his life. Where do we find this? This is like the story of Elazar ben Derdaya. The Alter Rebbe calls him Rebbe Elazar ben Derdaya. Rabbi Elazar ben Derdaya. When you find out about him, you wonder why he's Elazar ben He's Rabbi. He was the Jew who was the biggest saint, the sinner. So the Gemara says there wasn't a, 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 a whore in the entire, uh, the entire uh, land that he hasn't, he hasn't visited. And then finally there was one of these women who told him, she said to him, you know, I think you're finished. You're a goner. I mean, if anybody is going to fry, it's you. And then it finally hit him. At that moment it hit him. And he went out and he crawled out to the world. And he cried out to the heavens. He said, heavens, please help me. Plead for me. And they said, we have enough of our own problems. So he turned to the earth and he said, talk to me. And they said, we have our own issues. And everybody told him. And he said, you know what, you're on your own. So then he burst out crying. He put his head down on his lap and he cried and he cried. Totally, literally cried his soul out. He died and cried. And the remorse was so deep and so powerful that he just expired in his tshuva. It was such a deep tshuva that it just... And he became Rabbi Elazar ben Dandai. And then a heavenly voice came out and said that Rabbi Elazar ben Dandai has, has attained the world to come. And Rabbi, the greatest tzaddik, was crying. And he said, Yesh There is a person who acquires his world in one hour. Now those that it takes a lifetime of toil and effort and those who acquire the world in one hour. What's the difference? The difference is if, you're, if, you're, if you're, your relationship to God is on the level of the consuming fire or if you reach the Flintstone. If you get to the very essence where everything comes from. So it's beyond time. That's why it can be in one moment. Because it transcends time. It transcends anything. And from there all time and space come. Till his soul went expired. says as a result of this one reaches one reaches the, this is from a place where the very root higher than time and space the basko went out and said that he's prepared to the world to come he gets the same like the tzaddikim who toiled their whole life we understand they crafted and molded their world to come because all of world to come is it says it's a result of the illumination of the divine illumination of Torah and mitzvahs but the question is this guy didn't do any mitzvahs he didn't study any Torah he's busy with other stuff so the question is how how did he how did he create the world to come the world to come is not just a nice place it's something that from the godliness that you draw down in Torah and mitzvahs throughout your lifetime you, after the soul departs the body, it goes to that place where we can enjoy it. But he didn't draw down. The answer is, it's true he didn't connect to God's will and, God's, and to God's wisdom, but he connected to God himself, the source of the will, and the source of the wisdom. And for, when you connect to that, then it's, even though he didn't have Torah mitzvahs. So the answer was, that because he connected to the root and the root of where all Torah and Mitzvahs come from. However, the Alter Rebbe says, Not every person merits to have such deep tshuva coming from this deep place. And that is why we pray, for, we pray to God and we say, God, <clears throat> that's why we pray and we say to God, God, you return us to you. You pull, you tickle, you stimulate that, 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 that part of our soul. 
restore us to you, v'nashulah, and we're going to return. We wait for God, we're asking God, you arouse from above, you stimulate from above. Then we're going to have the arousal from below, v'nashulah, we're going to do. So the question is, but, but that's not the order. The order is we have to go first, then God reciprocates. And here we're saying that what? We're asking God, Hashiveinu. Hashiveinu Hashem Elecha. You draw us to you, then Hashuva, we're going to do Tshuva. And the order is not that way. So that's why we conclude, Chadesh Yomeinu Kekedem. Restore our days, Kekedem, like, like way back then. When God created the world the first time, He did it on His own. So the whole Flintstone was sparked on its own, and then from there came the consuming fire. God initiated the whole system from it. So we're saying, God, let it be again like it was then when you did it on, you initiated. And now too, we don't have the power to do it on our own. Please, do it kikadam like it was, like it was then. As he says over here, and even though always, in the arousal of below, like we learned last week, the woman, the man, it's supposed to come from, <coughs> from above, Nevertheless, you restore like in the beginning. As it was in the beginning when you created the world. It all came from your goodwill. Because God desires kindness and He does it on His own. And what does it mean? Restore our days like the angel. Because Yamim, day is light. It means the illuminations. So, in the beginning, how did all the illuminations came from where? God sparked it on His own. So, is called the drawing forth of God's light. It says, God, God, the light of the sun will not serve to you anymore as the light of day. I mean, God is going to be the light of the day. So, this is what we're asking. That God should... Illuminate on us a new light. from that rock. The first light has been put out. So we want God to spark it again. The yamim, the days, which shows on the light and the relationship of daytime, that's not there anymore. So we're asking, spark it all over again. It's like in the darkness. Now we conclude the verse. That's what God is saying. When is the day that, the, that, this, that this... When was the time that God showed, showed Moshe Rabbeinu? When did God put Moshe Rabbeinu on that rock? It was on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. That's the day we evoke the 13 attributes of mercy. So that's the day that that quintessential level of God is available. And the Jews can access that element of his soul. That's why on this day we say, On this day, He will forgive. It doesn't say who. Because this is a level so, so sublime and so this, that it's beyond God's names. The name, the Yudke Vavke of God, what did we say? Ki Hashem Elokecha, because God's your God, meaning God, once He's already called Hashem, Eish Oichlahu, He's a fire. But once we've, God forbid, as a result of sins and mass past, past failures, we've caused that fire to be extinguished, God forbid. So the name isn't there anymore. The name has been... So now we have to get to the source of the name, to God's very being where He can't be called in a name. So that's why the atonement can only come from just from a level of an unknowable place. 
He will atone. Because on this day, the level of he that is completely, that is beyond all names, Yechaper will atone upon you. Because here the essence of the Jew collides with the essence of God. Kibiyoyim, as he says over here, Kibiyoyim, as he says over here, the day of return, this day of where God does, and that's a day where, where God stimulates it. Through the five prayers. We daven five times in Yikippur. It doesn't say who. He will forgive. Why does it say The one that doesn't have a knowable name. And he can't be grasped. And no name can define him. He can't even be hinted to. There is no letter that can even allude to that level. That's the mysterious of the mysterious. The Kaitzaklal. And even, you know, in Torah, there are words. Words have meaning. Then there are letters. Letters have less meaning, but ultimately they have more meaning because they're symbols for something higher. Then there are the tiny little, the tiny little crowns on the letters. They indicate on things that are, they're symbols for something way, 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 way beyond. Here we're saying this is something that cannot even be symbolized even with a little dot or a little symbol because it's so sublime. It's beyond all anything. So we can just say, He. We don't know who. It's not, it's not in any way symbolized in anything. Kishem is Havaya, because the name Havaya, Moirim, Alam Shachas, Ma'ayin Liesh. We're dealing already with the level of God putting Himself into a certain mode of beingness. Havaya. Havaya means is, being. Mehelam Elagili. He's standing already in a state of some expression. Leos Mamala Kalalman forgot to fill the world, the side of Kalalman, and encompass the world. Which isn't the case in God's very being. We can't say about him. Not that he fills the world. Not that he encompasses the world. He's not at all within the context of worlds. And that's the root of all forgiveness. And over there he lifts up the sins. What does it mean he lifts up? The sin itself can become a virtue. It says not that it simply says he carries the sin. Sorry, the sin simply means he can, he can withstand it. But here we're learning, no. no he, he lifts the sin. How does he lift the sin? Because that very same thing that distanced you from God now becomes the ultimate attachment. Because it's from that distant place where the person cries out. Because to God's very essence, there can't be any blemish. There can't be any sin. In the channels of light, once there is channels, over there there can be already all kinds of, all kinds of interference. But in the very essence, they can't. And this is why the verse concludes. On this day He will atone upon you from all your sins. Before God you will, be, you will be cleansed, you will be purified. What does it mean before God? So it simply means in front of God you're going to be clean. The deeper meaning is lift Nash and preceding God. What does it mean? Pre- on a level higher than Havaya. Havaya is a name. Here we reach lift Havaya, above Havaya, because we get purified from a place that's beyond even Havaya. Lift Nashem to Torah, lift Nehavaya, Da'ainu b'terem shanet lubchenasam shachas Havaya. A place higher than Havaya. Lahavas comes on, the us to Torah, and then you will be purified. Kishetalu, when you're going to reach 
you're going to reach this level, you're going to reach the very rock, Hanis is mentioned above. This is, Tetaru is the same numeric value as Keser crown. Because we know that our Keser, the crown is where all mitzvahs come from. And the crown, that's why the 613 mitzvahs plus 7 rabbinic commandments equals 620. 620 is gematria crown, because that's the source of the mitzvahs. And if we blemished, we blemished them. And how do we purify it again? By getting to the crown itself again. And then read. That's titaru is 620. I must go to the Maskia Mitzvah Zeus, Ashanoichim Tzavcha. See as it says over there. Bye, everyone.